Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer? A beach bum summer? Or a wake me up when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door. In as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you if people send you the same generic conversation starters they message everyone else? Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. All right, we have a crazy edition of the Gypsy Tales podcast today. And before I get into uh, our guest, I'm going to start by thanking my mate Scott Saul, from Works Performance Coding, uh, Sawley reached out to me uh, when he knew that I was coming down to stay with him in Newcastle and said, hey, mate, I've got a crazy guest for you. Uh, Google Graham Abo Henry. So got to Googling and I was like, no shit. Is there a possibility that we could get this guy on the podcast? Um, turns out through a friend of a friend kind of situation, we were able to get in touch with Abo and get him on the podcast and it was an experience. I'm sure you could go and kind of get get Googling for yourselves. There's a pretty crazy uh, piece that Vice did on Abo that will, I guess, give you insight into, you know, kind of who he is and his life. Or you could just listen to three hours of epicness from this podcast. Abo is... I guess a part of that infamous Sydney underworld um, that's been really well documented uh, with guys like Teddy Smith uh, and his gang. Uh, Abbo was right in the thick of all of that. Uh, Graham did end up going to prison uh, for stabbing a police officer, uh, which we talk about in the podcast, uh, but he's out now and out of the organized crime world. And we caught up for, yeah, really a, an amazing chat like it's it's definitely not every day you get to sort of sit down and hear a guy talk so candidly about the experiences that he had in that world and I mean I made the point in the podcast that you you know you see so much of this stuff like glorified in tv shows and movies but to actually sit down with someone that's kind of done that in in real life and and lived in the underworld was a um yeah it was a really cool experience and I'm 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 glad that I can kind of bring this to everyone in uh yeah that listens to Gypsy Tales. So without any more of me jabbering on, uh like to welcome to the podcast Graham Abo Henry. Graham Abo Henry. That's the one. How are you mate? Good mate. We're doing it. Yeah. Been a bit of a um, bit of a hard one to get scheduled. I've been kind yeah. of all over the map, so I appreciate you, buddy, sticking in there with me. No mate. worries, mate. Um, so I guess I'm probably going to give people a little bit of an intro before they hook into the podcast. Yep. 
But um, how would you? How are we going to do this? We're just going to go deep into your story. We got uh, some time. Yeah, I don't care, man. <laughs> so I can't arm anyone. They're all dead. No, nah, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> so you're, I guess, a notorious Australian. Would you say like underworld figure or? Yeah, yeah I guess that's what my reputation is. Uh, you know, as some people say, oh, you're famous. I say, no, mate, I'm infamous. Yeah, right. You eh? know, so you know that's that's what it is. I mean, you know. I just was always born, I think, to do what I did in life. That's what I fucking believe. And I I just, um, I knew I was going to head down that road as a young bloke, you know, and so I just followed the path that led me. Yeah, so we, we sort of, like, as I was setting up, we started talking about that kind of stuff to where you almost believed that it was kind of just like almost determined that with the upbringing that you had the place that you lived the people you were around that this was kind of just the path that you were sort of destined to go oh, down oh for sure here yeah, I, I, you know there's an old Celtic belief that um you know your spirit knows before it comes here on what journey it's going to take you know and i've always sort of been pretty spiritual like that because uh, my mother was exactly the same she was pretty psychic and so was my youngest daughter but uh, no one else in the family has it and we often have things happen to us, see things or hear things or, and, you know, but I always knew in my own head that my, I used to think to myself when I was a young bloke, my life was a, was, was a movie, you know, uh, I don't know why I got hooked on it, mate, you know, I mean, sometimes I look back and I think, well, maybe it was the untouchables I used to watch every night with me mother when I was a young bloke, you know, I was a kid and, you know, I had pin-ups on my wall of John Dillinger, so I didn't have Sheila's hanging up on my wall or, you know, I had a picture of a gangster or something, you know. My mother was always ripping them down and trying to hide them, <laughs> you know, and I put them up there, you know, but I, and I learnt a, a pretty, something pretty good off uh, John Dillinger. I always remember that when he got killed, he got killed because he was talking to a woman and the woman set him up. So I always made it my option never to ever make sure I do business with women. So, <laughs> not that I'm racist or anything or... Sexist. You know, sexist yeah. is the word. Um, yeah, we live yeah. in a weird time when it comes oh, to that kind yeah. of shit. Equal, oh, equal rights. It's pretty funny, but there's not that many women that are lining up to be gangsters. No, so no, they? but there's plenty that want to hang around with them, you know, and that's the type of ones that I try to avoid, you know. Mm, gangster groupies. Yeah. Oh, you know. You know, my, my partner in crime, who was Nettie Smith, the infamous uh, underworld gangster, yeah. Uh, probably one of Australia's most notorious. He, um, you know, he lo- he loved the women around him and he liked to throw out all the money. I mean, yeah, we can't say that we didn't like them hanging around, I guess, but yeah, at the end of the day, they'd try and suck your brain about something and I'd just, you know, well, they'd ask me to walk them to their car and I'd just bluntly refuse them, yeah. you know, because I'd think it was a trap. So well, that, I, that's I how I learned things, you know. you got to think, like, with the chick that they're kind of getting seduced by the whole glory of the lifestyle in the same way but they're not actual gangsters so you've got to think how easy it would be for a cop to flip a chick because they want the accessory of of the you know the the kind of good shit that comes with that and the kind of danger factor and the dangerous man type thing they're not gonna fucking not rat you out if it it gets because they're probably working at the bloody shops down the road for nothing and yeah you know they're not actually living that life no that's right exactly right they're just hanging around for the for the glory of it all really i mean that's what it boils down to 
So let's talk a bit about, we'll give some background on your start. Because yeah, So I come across you through my mate, Scott Saul, who knows your um, grandson, grandson through footy. And, through and football, that's right. Then he put me onto the Vice piece, which everybody should check out. Yeah. Um, and it was kind of you talking, I guess that Vice piece was centered around violence. Yeah, that was, um, yeah. It's called Violent Times. Yeah, so it highlighted a little bit of your story, yeah. uh, which was pretty shocking for me. Um, to hear about the violence in your house and yep. then what happened with your family. So I guess is that that incident with your dad, is that the first kind of taste, or not taste is probably the wrong, first exposure to, um, you know, real violence was like that family, oh, your yeah, family for environment? Sure. Yeah, for sure. My father used to, you know, flog my mother who had one leg uh, cut off way above her knee. She lost it when she was 10. He used to flog her like a prize fighter and, uh, you know, he... he just bash it mercifully and uh, you know I can always remember the cops turning up in the old days and you know I'm talking about when I was five or six years of age you know and uh, the coppers would come to the door and say uh, mate look just keep it down you know they didn't give a fuck how she looked you yeah, know what right. I mean they might pull them aside and have a little bit of a word to them but they didn't give a fuck about what it, what went on in the house in those days and you know men were so fucking so many of them bashed their wives badly you know I mean, I've been married 44 years, never laid a hand on mine. And that was because of what i seen, mm. you know. But, um, yeah, it made me extremely angry. And by the time I got to about 13 years of age, I started to fist fight him, you know. He kept beating me, of course. But uh, So I ended up going over to the police boys club in North Sydney. And uh, when I got there, I remember the trainer there. was a He was a fireman, his normal day job as a fireman, but he was a trainer and he just said... Uh, so you hit in the bag there, mate. You you look pretty angry, you know. And I said, I just want to learn to fight. And he said, What for to do it as a profession? I said, No, I just want to learn so I can flog me father. He said, You're fucking kidding me, mate, aren't you? I said, No, I'm not, mate. So he started to ask me a few questions. He's a bit like a psychiatrist too. He helped me, you know, and I mate, because he just said, Don't worry about it. But if he does it again, you call me, and I'll fucking come over. Yeah, right. You know, so I knew I had someone hold me back, which was nice. But I never used him, but. You know, but I punched on with my father at the front of the house all the time and we had a real big steep driveway up the front of the house. So I used to try and get up on the high side so I could, you know, hit him have and get him down on the, yeah, yeah, have yeah. the height over him, you know. But, um, I mean, during the day he was as quiet as a mouse, wouldn't speak, and then he'd get up the pub. But what happened to him, he was injured during the Second World War uh, when the Germans were after him. They couldn't use their lights of a night. He was a driver of one of the trucks. And they went over a big embankment and uh, in the sand dunes and come to a crash and halt. And they, all the team left him there for about three or four days on his own because uh, they couldn't move him. Anyway, he ended up coming back and had bent all his backbone pretty badly. And, and uh, so they hooked him onto the morphine, I think, first off. And then when he come home from the war, they uh, put him on uh, a tablet called Fenobarb. Fenobarb were part off the market in the 70s because of their hallucinogenic factors uh. to him, you know, like acid. And uh, I can often remember him saying stupid things like, you know. Was he mixing it with alcohol as well? Yeah, yeah, of course. And that's what turned him into a fucking maniac, you know. Yeah, And right. the next day you'd say something to him and he wouldn't believe it. You know, he wouldn't believe that it was him. Because there's... Um 
there's been a bunch of shit come out about like ambient and stuff lately because do you, you know roseanne the tv show oh yeah yeah it, it, it was on the air again they re-aired it and then she wrote some shit that was i guess people took as like a, oh, a racist right, yeah. thing that's and right. she got sacked from the show and she yeah, said i was fucking on ambient and i was drunk like and people don't remember no, that's what they right. did so no, that's exactly right yeah right so i guess yeah you didn't really get to fully explain that in in the vice piece i guess eh? no i didn't no yeah. i try i did in the book that i wrote i wrote a book in um you know, I started in 2000. I don't think it was released until 2006. It was called Abo, A Treacherous Life. Yeah. And uh, that's still online there. You can get that online. Yeah, I'll, um, I'm going to post a link in the, right. like, when we do the show notes. Yeah, so all right, that, okay. Yeah, so that people can actually get it. Yeah. Oh, like I was saying, I got the book when um, Sawley got this yeah. going, but I just haven't had a chance yeah. to read it. I'm, no, I'm that's right. keen as to, yeah. to get, get stuck into it. So when the... So you seeing your dad, did you have much perspective as a kid that there was, like what you've just said now, like he was in the war, then he come yeah. back and he was on these drugs and yep. then mixing with alcohol. Yep. Did you have that perspective as a kid? Oh, no way in the world. So it was I just didn't that. know and I didn't fucking care what he, what yeah, he had, exactly. you know what I mean? So yeah. it wasn't until I got older, as I got older, I can look back and relate to, you know, what he was like. And, you know, yeah. I mean, I've been on the piss myself and done stupid fucking things, you know what I mean? But... Uh, one of them's not fla- flogging women, you know. Yeah, I yeah. I'm barred from fucking doing that, but um, uh, but that was just the way it was, you know. And uh, I've had some ridiculous things. I mean, that have happened to me. I, a lot of my fights that I had, you know. I mean, and you couldn't help it. It's not as if you did it because you were fucking. It's just the the way you are. You're out somewhere and you're with a big group. And there's always some fucking imbecile, mm. you know, that says something stupid or. And then it's on. I mean, we didn't care if they were coppers, fucking security, fucking whoever they were. We'd just flog them. Yeah. You know, that's when I was running around with Eddie Smith and that. And especially, I guess, if your life revolved around violence. Like, you grew up in a violent place. Yeah. And do you think that you were just conditioned to respond with violence? Because it's not like you could have said, fuck, Dad, please don't do that and yeah. have a rational conversation. Like, no, it, couldn't, that, it would never have happened. Yeah. So, I mean, do you think that when you look back now that those reactions and the fights and stuff was that just purely based out of being a product of that environment oh for sure for sure and certain mate you know and i can remember the relief when it finally came to me when i was about see he tried to kill me when i was about 15 and uh, he actually i told him to go to bed and turn the mouth organ up his ass he'd been playing all night because my mother had to get up to go to work in the morning and he'd already retired and uh, anyway, I t- told him to jam it up his ass, and I seen him sneak outside, you know. And then I, I used to have a steel uh, slide that used to slide down the guitar, make the wine sounds. Yeah, yeah. My mother had it. It was her guitar and her instrument. But I used to grab that little piece of instrument and put it up on the doorknob and then put this tray down that I won in a boxing amateur tournament, Yeah. put it on the floor. So when the doorknob was hit, the thing had come down and hit the door. And I'd be awake, you know. And yeah. it'd, it'd usually wake me because I was a pretty light sleeper anyway. And uh, anyway, next minute, bang, the thing went on the floor and I sat up and next minute I seen him just swing, you know, come at me. And I thought, fuck, I jumped out of the bed. Well, lucky I did. I didn't even know what happened. I jumped out and jumped out the fucking window because something just made me go, you know. Yeah. When I came back in the morning to the house, there was a garden mattock embedded straight in me, in me bed. It would have got me chest. would have just gone straight through me and killed me. Now, he still didn't fucking remember that. I took him in the room and showed him next morning. 
He said, yeah, I never fucking did it. I, said, I thought, fuck me, like, how can you be fucking not remember that, you fucking liar? So you know? how, yeah, but it makes sense now. Oh, like now, no now, now I understand, how, you know, how, what happens with drugs. I mean, I've had Valium and gone to sleep and, and then um, been woken up and then uh, and done stupid things. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then when I finally woke up in the morning, I went, the fuck? what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. I fucking did that. You know, like, so I can fully relate to it. Yeah. You know, so. So and was there, um, so what was the, there was like an incident where you actually stabbed him? Yeah, I that? stabbed him with a barbecue fork because I come home from, I come home one night and uh, when I come home I, I noticed that there was blood in the kitchen. I come in the back door and I thought, what the fuck's going on here? So I walked down to my mother and father slept in be- different bedrooms. Mm-hmm. So I haven't opened my mother's bedroom door but it was blocked up with drawers He'd put drawers up against it because he knew I was going to come home and fucking blow. And uh, he tried to get into the bed with her, I guess. Something's happened there. And then he, she fucking got up and refused him. I don't know if it was sex or whatever it was, you know. But uh, anyway, then he got up and uh, he, he battered her. He battered her this night and she had blood clots. They came out in, like, had skin around the blood sacs, you know, uh. all out of her nose. And so I just fucking lost it. I run up the stairs and uh, kick the fucking door down with the fucking drawers falling on us. So I red run in and pulled him out of bed and just battered him. And then I run out in the kitchen and got a barbecue fork, which had two big long prongs on it, about that long. And I just jammed it in his chest and his fucking face. And uh, my mother fucking stopped me. You wouldn't believe it of all fucking things. And, uh, but, you know, I guess she, she didn't want me to fucking kill him. And, Go to jail. Uh, you know. And, uh, so he really pulled his head in after that and, and really stopped throwing around. But he, it didn't bar him from having a whack at me. I'd walk past a pub or something where he was having a beer. He'd come out and he'd king at me in the street. Really? Yeah, so I'd just fucking have to drop him, you know. So just for a ridic- ridiculous fucking situation. Yeah. And uh, But as it turns out, as I found out as I got older, I always thought I wasn't part of the family. I didn't belong there, you know. And I believed that I was... Uh, uh, um, came out of another marriage, out of another father, mm. and that he wasn't my true father. That's the reason I was born in a private hospital when I was a kid, and, that, and they had no money, so it was like a hush hush, you know, yeah, keep right. it quiet. And that's where I think I got the nickname Abbo, and I and I think I am because I believe when my sister died only two years ago, uh, she said that. Um, I was actually adopted and that the father was believed to be of an Aboriginal and he used to drive the buses at Hurstville Station. Well, that's where we lived out, Sylvania Heights Way. And um, so, you know, as it's turned out, maybe I am Aboriginal and my nickname stuck with me all my life since I've been about 14. They called me Abbo because they had skinny legs, flat nose and, you know. No shit. Yeah, so so it just turned out that, that maybe the absolute truth. I haven't had the DNA yet to prove it, but... That'd be you fucking know. interesting. Yeah, if yeah, did. it will be, yeah. Um, so did you, like, what was your relationship like with your mum then? My relationship with my mum was just, uh, I, I sort of used to get pissed off with her because I, I wondered why because she kept him around. Yeah. Or we'd get, all get flogged and then, you know, uh, two days later we'd be back. We'd go and spend time in motels and hide away from him until he quietened down and then return the next day only to fucking have it happen again you know it's such a fucking common story man like how many how many people in like abusive relationships like i've got family um that 
yeah, I've, I don't want to obviously say too much about it yeah, or whatever because yeah, yeah, exactly. not here, but like, yeah. yeah, just get the fucking shit kicked out of her. Yeah, that's and right. And just stick around. Yeah, and just crazy. It, it seems like such a fucking no-brainer yeah. to leave. Yeah. And, you know, like, we'd have times where, yeah, you'd have to send people around and whatnot yeah. and, like, yeah, you just think, like, what the fuck yeah. drives people? And, and I know that I had um, my one of uh, my grandfathers was not the best dude as well yeah and, and but it was that old time where i think it was the gal culture you know it was just yeah. the way they were because it was so divorced now it's just like fucking yeah. it's you know what nearly 50 percent of relationships end in divorce yeah so but it was that time wasn't it where That's you just right. couldn't leave oh bloody hell for sure you so, know and i think it was more you know to, so, so we could at least had a roof over our head and Mm. know what I mean so put up with it you was know it, what I mean do you think because it was harder for women to get good work back in those days and make as much money for, as men oh I'm sure that had a lot to do with it you yeah. know but uh, like we were as poor as church, church mouses you know and uh, we, we we just lived in you know either my grandfather's house or you know which was you know just like a dirty old wooden house that was just a piece of shit with a fucking Tin dumpster shed, yeah. down the back and a you know for the toilet, you know, 200 yards away, the sanitary carters that come and get. And, um, you know, and a big boiling copper down there to boil up our water and carry it up to put in the bath, you know. That's the type of background we come from, you know. like yeah. So I guess they, they, they make it a bit hardy and they're a little bit hardier than the kids today, I'd say. Fucking 100%. You know, 100%. Um, so I guess a couple of things. There's like the violence that you saw. Yeah. And then obviously the respect for police would have been pretty fucking Zero. low because you've got the your dad's flogging fuck out of your mum yeah and then the cops are coming and just saying i'll oh, keep it down you That's know right. so that because one of the things like i guess you know we were talking before like oh we don't want to make make money out of crime or whatever we can't pay you because it's yeah, through right. crime or whatever yeah. and with me like coming into the podcast i was like obviously it's it's a fucking cool story like i think people are interested people watch underworld they watch all these shows yeah. like there's there's a part of your story that resonates with all, all people oh yeah you know for sure. fucking how many cop shows crime shows gangster shows movies like yeah. scarface fucking blah 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 and it seems weird then that we can put these people on tv in a fictional sense but to actually have somebody that's done, done it. it for real that's right it's yeah. it's now like frowned upon so that's, that's kind of right. but then I guess the the thing that I really try to take with me and just my life in general is if I was you, yeah. if I grew up where you did, I would theoretically be you. Yeah. Because there's no I don't think there is this thing that makes people better or worse or like oh, I have more morals or whatever. Yeah. Like I think people like to think that way, but if you had every single lived experience in the exact same way, so I think it's like counterproductive to just assume you, that you would morally be a better person oh i, I could grow up in that situation yeah. and, and not become an infamous gangster yeah yeah it's of like course. it's like fuck you and your moral high ground yeah, like how right. could you say that yeah that's right and then i so i think it's really interesting when you look back and you can unpack some of these events and your father doing what he did led you to the path that you did the cops not doing anything for your mum obviously oh, leads to sure. a level of disrespect you talked about the war and then yep. the drugs that your father was on yeah. probably led to what he did. So there That's is right. this butterfly effect of action and reaction that kind of create, right. you know, create the, the fucking universe, essentially. Exactly. So I guess 
then going back to the cops thing that was where you pretty much just lost all respect for authority and police oh, and, for and sure, said, certain. yeah fuck yeah. you guys if yeah. you're not going to do shit yeah i can you know they started coming to arrest me you know at a young age you know for you know street offenses or fighting in the street or you know you know having sex with a girl the same age as me and you know charged with carnal knowledge when i was 13 you know what i mean it was, i don't even think i got it in yeah you know right. what i mean like fuck me dead and uh you know next and i ended up uh, uh you know you get locked up in boys boys homes and yeah all that sort of shit went through you know all the shoulders and all that crap and um you know so my, I, I found that uh, i got i got more respect out on the street than i got at home yeah and uh, no one gave me any respect at home and i, I never you know, if I, I went to football and played football, I wouldn't have my parents sitting on the sideline. Yeah. You know, and uh, but you know, I didn't care about my mother because she had one leg and she she was a she was as solid as a rock. My mother, you know, she was tough as steak, really. But um, you know, but but I didn't. So it made me pissed off. I gave gave me a chip on my shoulder, I guess. And I, so every time I'd see the police, I'd fucking give them a gob full and you know, or belt one of them, and uh, I'd be locked up for it. You know. I mean, they were horrified of me, the, the local police, you know, as a teenager, because I used to just step straight into them, you know. I didn't give a fuck about them, you know. And uh, I, was, I was forever getting, you know, sloughed up over it and then someone getting me out of trouble. And I've been pretty blessed, really, for all the things I have done in my life. I mean, and then it just sort of led me to that that gang culture that I ran around with as a teenager. Because I guess you're just trying to find people that have that same so same sort trauma of. in yeah, their exactly. life and cuz i guess you don't you wouldn't have really had a sense of family no. so was your first sense of family finding kids that kind of were well i guess it was you way? know I, I think it was i think you know the old saying birds of a feather flock together and and uh you know you just started running around with a little group of blokes and then maybe you know that group like we had a gang that you know of 70 if we needed them yeah but um uh, I know I'm talking about street gangs when we were kids, you know, and we were all sharpies. I've got what they call sharpies. They were long hair sharpies. So what's, what's the sharpies? Well, the sharpies were, you know, they used to wear high, high waisted pants, and yeah, you know, they were the louts. Yeah. You know, they had the shoes, uh, you know, all the Italian leather shoes, and always wore good clothes, three quarter coats, all that sort of stuff. But um, so that's what we all were, and anyone who was the opposite, well, we'd just step into them, you know, surfies, long ears, whatever it was. I mean, that was, you know, they talk about violence today, and, you know, I mean, our violence was just the same. It was no different, you know, except, you know, we didn't drive around and start shooting up your house. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, so, you know, those cowardly acts that happened today just fucking throw me right out of gear. I don't understand it. If you want to intimidate someone, you just throw them in the fucking boot of your car and take them somewhere, wouldn't you, and get them down their knees and with his aisle in the ground waiting for him, you know. That's how you intimidate them. You don't go past and spray up their house or, yeah. you know, anyone who ever did that, you know, especially in the gangs that I ran with later on in organised crime. Um, you know, if they would have done that, we would have shot them dead on the spot. So what was your first, I guess, um, organised crime experience? Like when did you start getting into that side of things? Well, 1970... Say in the early seventies, I went to Parramatta Jail, and um, I ended up meeting blokes, you know, Mel- gangsters from Melbourne, a bloke called Stephen Nitties, who was in for knocking off an armoured van for half a million dollars, 
you know, which was massive money in 1970. Fuck yeah. And, um, you know, and then the toe cutter gang got hold of them and chopped all their toes off and, you know, except for my mate Steve Nitties, he was the only survivor. So, um, uh, you know, find out where all the money was, of course. But, um, so in that prison system, I, I met a few blokes like Nettie Smith, who was a big towering bloke and a, had a reputation. He could fight like a thrashing machine. And, you know, well, I fought in there in the boxing rings and with, a, with some pretty tough kids that we all grew up with, you know. And uh, when I got out, I kept that bond strong and uh, I started, I run into Nettie Smith in, um, in Parramatta Road Camper down one day at, uh, in a pub called the Governor General, I think it was called, or the Governor Burke. And uh, that was 1975. So I said to him, I remember driving along in the car and I said, listen, I said, I'm, I want, need someone to partner up with me to do some stick-ups. Right? And, uh, and he said, well, I'll do the stick-ups with you. He said, but if you, um, you fuck me around, I'll kill you. And I said, and I'll do the same to fucking you. <laughs> so I said, we're on the same path. Yeah, right. right? Uh, that's the way it was. And me and Ned started running together since 75. I don't think it wasn't until 1981 that I started hunting around and gathering other blokes because Ned got a green light out off the police, uh, and he got that because he was an informed, and um, he was giving them information. Little did we know, but you know, people have asked me over the years, "Didn't you know?" I said, "Well, I heard all the rumours, mate, and everyone hears the rumours, but we could never, 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 we never ever saw him do it." Yeah, you know. It wasn't until years later that the true colours came out in the ICAC and he gave up 92 police that protected us, you know. And uh, I'm sure 92 of them were fabricated because I, I don't think he could have remembered 10 of them, let alone 90 fucking two. Yeah. But um, anyway, I started running with him then and we put this gang... Oh, I really put the gang together. I grabbed blokes from all sorts of walks of life and blokes who had killed before and blokes who had... Uh, you know, were good at armed robberies and, and they had to listen to what was said, you know, because that was my forte. I, I love ro- robbing, you know. I was a good armed robber and I put a lot of arm work into what I'd done. I think I'm the only notorious armed robber in this country that's never ever been convicted. Yeah, right. Right, so, so it's, um, you know, and my specialty like, was armour vans, were payrolls, you know. I've been, I've been my first... Uh, armed robbery I was 15 so mm. you know I, I learnt to do things a lot I run around with older blokes as a younger bloke and um, and, and I guess I learnt a lot of tricks here and there off people and I was always sort of looked after by older blokes too even in the prison system as a kid you know older blokes looked after me respected me and um, and it just sort of grew from there I just felt comfortable in that environment and, you know, as it turned out, it was the, probably the most treacherous life of all time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, when you look at it. But, uh, you know, I was blessed and come out the other side with, you know, I've, I've had um, nearly 20 attempts on my life and uh, 14 up until I wrote the book and then probably about six after. And I don't mean all of those ones that everyone jumped out and started shooting at me. I just foiled their attempt on trying to get me. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'd know what they were going to do. I'd they'd plan it, and I'd go. I'd always spring them setting up the trap, you know, because I'm forever looking. You know, I'm what psychics call a seer. I see things before they occur, either in dreams, or I just have a feeling that something's not right, 
and you know everyone should take notice of that inner voice you know and uh, I do so it saved me so many times you know saved me that many times it's just incredible and uh, you know when I look back on it there's uh, you know I don't know anyone else who's had that and survived it all you know except Mm. for one bloke in Melbourne I think one of the old painters and dockers he survived I forget his name now but um yeah, so, you know, look, I had, but to me it was like, I can remember when I was in prison and uh, in 1997, just before I got out of jail, after I, I committed an offence, we'll get into that when you want to, but um, I, um, I just two weeks prior to me getting out, uh, there was an attempt upon my life. and um, While you are in jail? Yeah, while I was in jail, because play, there was a person who'd actually get, given evidence against me on the sly against myself and Ned Smith and uh, because he saw an opening for a smart lad and he said if I go if I go and give them up right about things he said then you know I can rule the Bruce because they're going to be in prison for a while Ned was doing life and uh, on one murder and uh, eventually talked himself into another one and uh, they had he bugged in the cell and he copped another life sentence for one that he didn't even commit so what <clears throat> that's kind of I guess what I was wondering a little bit too like how can you talk about all this stuff now? Like, is what's the legalities around? Legalities that kind of stuff? are that you know everyone's dead. Uh, the armed robberies that I can talk about are ones that uh, I was given immunity in the uh, ICAC investigations. Uh, once they had my partner he'd roll over, he, he rolled over. I was in the prison yard with him, and I saw that he'd he'd uh, he'd been going out a lot, and leaving the prison. So. When that happens, you start to get a bit suspicious. Something's going down here. So I, w- I snuck into his cell one day and, ran, ran and went through it, checking it out, and I found all this paperwork that he'd been going to the ICAC for about nine months, giving them information about robberies that I'd committed, and he was taking the rap for them. Uh, you know, as if he'd done them. Like there was one at Cockatoo Island. For Why sus- was he doing that? Because For ego, mate. For right. ego. And to say that the police helped him in that robbery. You know, well, the, the only police that helped were the police that I had on side, not anyone he had on side. I wasn't running with him at the time. Yeah, right. And uh, that happened in 1987, the robbery at Cockatoo Island. And, uh, How the fuck do you rob an island? No, well, what happened, this money was going over to, to had come down through Hunters Hill and Woolwich, and they used to park there and wait for the speedboat to come over. The speedboat would pick them up and take them over, and one, one payroll was for the Navy and one was for the Dockers that worked there and all the people that worked on the ships. So uh, I just happened to spring it one day and then I started doing homework on it. I, I spent months and months and months on surveillance, making sure I got it right, And because uh, there was only one road out of there. And uh, so I thought there's only one way out, I'll use a boat. So I used a boat and ended up in another suburb miles and miles away. But years later, uh, one of the security guards got up in, the, in a court case and he said, I chased him over the Gladesville Bridge and I thought, well, I don't know who the fuck you were chasing, mate, because you we, we went by a boat. So, you know, lucky they didn't catch the poor bastard and arrest him, you so, know, whoever he thought it was. So did you, at that point, so you can talk about that because you yeah. were given immunity. That's right. So so what I actually did, well, I talked about because I read through Ned's statements mm. and then I asked him in the yard, I said, okay, what's going down here? He said, I'm going to stick it up the police and, you know, the ones who give me the green light and all that. And I said, all right, well, but I said, you're talking about fucking crimes I've fucking done. So did he, he said, know yeah, you did it? 
yeah, of course. Yeah, he's filthy on it that I got it. But um, but he said, um, I, I said, well, I can't understand your point, Ned. What are you trying to do? He said, no, well, he said, I'll get out earlier. You know, I'll guarantee me. Now, this is, he was only doing one uh, life sentence at the time. And he thought, if I can help him out, right? They'll reduce my sentence. They'll reduce my sentence and I'll get out. And I said, yeah, but then they're going to fucking want to kill you. Like, why would you want to fucking do it? Just cop the fucking sentence you got. You'll only do, you know, 13, 14 years or something. And at least you're out. You've got a life. You know, I said, doing this, you're going to have none. Yeah. And uh, I said, and you know the police better than anyone, Ned. I said, uh, what they'll fucking do, we know. Because we've, we, we've, we've been involved that. with them. Yeah. Right. So, so over the years, so, so next minute... Um, I thought to myself, I better fucking jump on board here, but how can I do it without not telling on anybody, yeah. you know? So what I did, I ended up calling the ICAC out to see me, and I said, listen, mate, I said that prosecutor that I I wounded, uh, there was a police prosecutor that I wounded called Malcolm Spent, who was a worked in all the courts as the main prosecutor for the Downing Centre and, and all of that. Now, he was the main connection that organised crime used to go out and rob places, yeah, and um, uh, not to rob places too. That you he know, whatever charges we were yeah. on, he was part of that 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 group, that organisation, that the octopus, I call it. You know, yep. they're part of the tentacles and the suckers on the octopus that feed the think tanks. You know, and um, so we ended up having him on side. Judges, magistrates, all them sort of things happen. But I wounded this bloke. Yeah, so I guess we're like we'll just tell that story. Like yeah. it's got kind of got to come uh, out of it. So you had yeah. a green light yeah. with the New South Wales Police because yeah. you were working with these guys. Yeah, so well, before, well, well, Ned actually had it because he took Warren Lee and Frenchie down the laneway at Dengar Place, and he took him down there to have him murdered. I mean, everyone he knows that story. It's been going on for years and years and years. He really had the green light prior to that uh, because one of he was pinched with another one of his partners, and he go, and he they gave evidence. He was the only one. He got up in the court and Detective Roger Rogerson got up and gave evidence on Ned's behalf and Ned got out and the other bloke got 13 and a half years for an armed robbery. Yeah. So it was plain and simple that everyone knew he was a he, he dogged on people then. So he had a bad reputation that way, but because I'd never seen it and I only knew him through how I knew him in prison and everything, I didn't take, I didn't take any notice of rumours. If, you know, I need to know myself for its effect. Yeah. And then so I treated it as a rumour. And so I said, if I can work it out and see for 100% it's true, then I'll stop knocking around with the bike. I'll get out of his company in a heartbeat. But uh, as it turned out, he, um, so it was through that and his negotiations with police on deals that they started to look after him. So I said, well, if they're going to give you a free reign, I'll put the gang together. And I said, and then we'll fucking just fucking take over. You know, there was only the McPherson gang who were left and they, they'd been running everything for about 30 years. And I said, mate, they're too old now. You know, they don't want to be involved in all the fucking shit and it's a different ball game today. Today we're playing with drugs. They were the gamblers and run all of the illegal casinos. They did all of that sort of stuff. Like the old school, the like old school, loan shark Yeah, kind of loan shit. shark and sort of gangs, you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, SP bookmaking and all that sort of stuff. Well, yeah. then everything became legal then. There was TAB agencies, brothels were allowed, so prostitution went out the door, the backstreet prostitution. And so I said, you know, there's an opening in. This is our opening. Yeah, you know, right. Now it's the drug trade, it's armed robberies, it's, right? So I said, let's put a gang together. 
And so I did. I put the gang together. And uh, then we just started operating from there. And, uh, you know, we'd turn up at a robbery and do the robbery and the armed robbery squad would be waiting up the road to go and take over the investigation. We always made sure they were in the area if it was a hard crime to commit. We only ever used them if it was hard to get away from. Yeah, right. You know, otherwise we just did it, then we go and see them after it, and they'd know not to come looking, sniffing around us, and we'd give them 10% of the cut. Yeah. So if we got 700,000, you know, they got 70. You know, sometimes we give them a bit more because sometimes they told lies about how much had been missing because there might have been ghost money on some of the yeah. jobs that we robbed, you know, especially at Port Botany payrolls and, you know, things like that. So, you know, I was able to get through the break with all of these crimes because Ned talked about them in the ICAC. So I said, yeah, I did them with them, but I'm not nominating criminals. And if I've got her, well, I'll nominate and they'll be dead ones. Yeah, yeah. Right? So, you know, Chris Flannery, who's gone missing, uh, another bloke who, who was in a professional arm robbery and had a heart attack. So I used him. I used all. So that all way, the dudes that, that way I kept my gang safe. Dead men tell no yeah. tales. And, uh, but the commissioner the, at the, in the ICAC actually said to me, well, if we're giving you immunity, Mr. Henry, for these crimes, how can't you, you're saying that you've never ever seen Ned Smith pay the police? This is a corruption inquiry into police corruption and I said well no doubt we had the green line but I said I never saw him pay it of course that was a lie yeah, yeah. right but um, of course I'd seen it I've done it myself but um, you know so I protected all the crooked cops and the, and the uh, crooks and Ned went the other way and rolled over on everyone well when when it came to the end of the investigation they kept me in solitary confinement for two and a half years oh. on my own on my own all my hair fell out, right? I went white, or was snow white my hair went, and uh, all I had was a cell and a cage, and I used to walk around that cage all day long, and two and a half years, and they thought they'd pressure me. By keeping me there in the solitary the confinement, they thought they could pressure me to roll over. But I thought, mate, you can hang me here for the eight and a half years, mate, I ain't telling you fuck all, you know? So all How I'd, the fuck did you get through? That because, like... Just meditation, mate. Because people don't get that solitary confinement it, that's the fucking worst oh, thing you can do to a human oh, it's like that, it, that's it that's like it. torture or you the fucking worst well, thing because you can you've do. only got your mind to deal with and then you, you and know, what's so. what's the fucking saying an idle mind is the devil's play, playground my, my fucking uh, idle hands are the devil's playground that's right exactly right how the fuck was that yeah no that was hard that was hard don't worry about that I can't say I was a nurse swim in the fucking park because it wasn't you know but it was um so what what do you so you just said meditation yeah i did a lot of meditation during the day and what or i put what is your meditation into, my meditation is usually just deep breathing relaxing my body you know and focusing sometimes on an object or something you know and then you'll just either drift off and uh, go into a com- beautiful completely relaxed state you know i mean i've had all sorts of experiences with it you know i've even Talk about like you know, fuck because well, well, that shit's interesting. Well, as, mate, I can fuck. remember when I was at Goulburn Jail in 1971. I was running ten miles every day, and I was as super fit as they come. And um, I was only doing two years, two years with nine months parole, and uh, for something I didn't do, I just took the rap for it off a mate of mine when I was 18, and uh, I went to prison over it. So it was only a car stealing offence. So. The um, anyway, while I was in there, I started drawing a dot on the wall because I've always had bad, um, attentive 
uh, oh, like things. ADD. Yeah, sort of. you know what I mean. My head's always been all over the shop. You know what I mean. So I started drawing this dot on the wall, like a circle, circle down to a smaller circle, like you're looking down a cone. Yeah, you know? yeah. And so I used to draw them on the wall and just sit there until I could feel my brain inside going, boom, moving. You know, like, and my eyes would be watering and aching to the shit ass, and I'd just keep doing it and doing it and doing it. Anyway, I started to notice that I could just sit down and read a book right through without a break, put myself in that book. I've never been able to do it, you know. So I really taught me mind how to how to be calm, how to be still when it had to be, you know, especially under heavy situations, you know, bad things happening in your life. And so I, go, I always found that it's a place I can go to. It just gives me a real sense of relief. I do that every day. But... <laughs> When I was doing this meditation one night, in uh, I was laying on the floor and I was practicing this thing I read in a yoga book about breathing through your stomach and uh, just concentrating on your nut, just below your navel area. So yeah. I started to do that, and I just, just all of a sudden during the meditation, I just heard this like a like a growl sound, and next minute, my soul—it was my soul—I fucking swear on my children's life just popped straight out of my body like that and went, boom, straight back in. And my eyes were open when I saw it. It's like a golden colour, right? Fuck. And I went, what the fuck just happened then? I got up and I started walking up and down the the room, but I've never, ever been able to do that again. Just once. So that sort of... So what did you make of that experience? Well, well, it made me think then really about what my mother taught me, you know, about spirits and about... You know, she always said, don't delve into Luigi boards or don't get involved in that. That's no good. That's the wrong side of the spirit world, right? And so, and she said, you'll always be guided. You'll always be helped because I think you're exactly like I am. That's how my mother was. She was, and and I was. And I think it was to let me know. You know, that's what I believe it was. It happened for to, to let me know it truly exists. Mm. You know, that you do have a spirit. And... Uh, that didn't change me passion for uh, doing all crimes or, you know, it was just something that happened and occurred in my life. But it made me well aware of of the situation, you know, uh, of uh, that, you know, we all have a spirit and we were all spirits, oh, a lot of us, animals, mm. dogs, cows, fucking, yeah. you know, we all have this energy within us and that's what it is, a powerful energy force. And um, anyway, so I've had things like that happen. I've had fucking... You know, I've had visitors touch me leg in the night while I've been asleep. Like, I've had things in my ears telling me things, you know. Um, I'm not talking like being a mental case. I'm talking about just an inner voice that comes to me yeah. while I'm asleep. Or if someone's going to turn up and try and harm me or do surveillance on me, I'll hear a dog bark in my mm. dream early in the morning. A dog will bark. I always get a warning or something knocks on a window and there's no cunt there. The dogs don't hear it. No one hears it except me. Like fucking strangest things, mate. Mm. I've got, I've got, I've had hundreds of experiences of it. Mm. But it's the main thing that's kept me. Every time I've been to a psychic, they say to me, "You're a seer. You see things in your dreams, or you see things before they happen to you." And I always do. Like I always have these warning signs, you know. So. Why it happens, I've got no fucking idea. Well, it's probably because you pay attention to it. Yeah, it probably is, you know. But I, you know, 
But it, I, all I can say is I'm fucking glad I had it. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Because I would have been dead 20 fucking times, you know. So, so when you, you said before, like, you've got a soul, but you still love doing the, the shit yeah, that you course. did. Like, where do you stand on the whole, like, morality of, of the life that you lived? Like, yeah. have you... Because I'm guessing prison and solitary confinement's like a pretty good place to kind of um, explore. I guess you'd be forced to explore those kind of questions and stuff. Because mm. I mean, I think you can a good person can do bad things, and I think a bad person can do good things. Oh, of course. No so doubt about it's it. like I don't know. Like, where do you stand on that? Well, mate, I've, you know, I've done plenty of good things for blokes in the prison, and I've done good things for a friend. Mate, it's just a lifestyle. I, I virtually, as I said, I believed in that Celtic belief that, that that thing that your spirit knows what journey it's going to go on and I was meant to go down I was meant to go down it to realize and to learn something spiritual yeah you know that something truly exists a greater power exists and um, and all of these things that have happened to me and come it doesn't mean that you know I mean I went to church as a kid and always I've always believed in, in God or whatever you want to call him Right, I just believe in this higher power, and that everyone on the planet, animals, humans, all run off the same intelligence. You know, there's one intelligence, a divine intelligence. Yeah, you so know, it's that's like all of consciousness, yeah. kind of thing. But so I believe what I've done through my life, even though when I've wounded people, I've shot them, I've stabbed them, I've, you know, hit them with baseball bats. I've, you know, but they were other gangsters. They were playing the same game as me. They knew the rules. You know, so it was either for fucking first in best dressed or fucking I'm going to go down. Yeah. You know, some of these fools that chased me and tried to kill me, well, I've caught up with a few of them. You know, some have raised the white flag and sent other police over to see me and say, you know, I'm acting on uh, their behalf. They want to throw the white flag up. And I said, tell them to get fucked. You know, I'm not throwing the flag. The flag will be up when it's fucking finished. Mm. You know what I mean? So I, I just... I just played things in my own life, and I had my own rules and principles. In my gang, the gang with Nettie Smith, Ned was greedy, and Ned didn't give a fuck for what reason he wanted to order someone killed. So Ned had the power with the police, so we allowed him that. And I used to say, you, you just do that and we'll do the crimes. I'll get the people to buy the drugs, to do this, to do that, um, to do the armed robberies with. You just get the police suite, you know? Yeah. Well, when he started to do that, then he started to get his nose out of joint a bit because I was controlling the blokes, Yeah. you know, in the team. So we started to want to then get involved in things like, you know, so I said, all right, well, at the end of the day, it didn't matter because if we got if we hit a hurdle, the police were going to get us out of it anyway. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because of Ned's influence with them. So they used to come to me and try and ask me to, uh, you know, why don't you help us out and get away from Ned? And I said, I'm going to fucking help you out. I don't yeah. give people up, mate. You know, so my, my principles and rules have been that I don't tell, you know, I don't give information against friggin', you know, any, any mates, any enemies, you know, that's not my go. I've never had that. And uh, Is that hard to do, though, when you are looking at, like, no, real, real jail time do. and shit? You just never No, no, I just said, mate, if I'm doing it, if I'm doing the crime and I get caught, well, that's just bad luck. Yeah, right. You know. Probably a pretty balanced perspective. Well, really. it's the only one to have, you know. And it's, yeah, otherwise you'd be hiding out on, mm. you know, protective custody and all that shit. No, you wouldn't want to live a life like that anyway. And I suppose, like, you were used to being in prison from a pretty young age yeah, anyway. exactly right. So, you know, it never scared me. Prison didn't scare me. But, you know, at the end of the day, I knew we could do anything. And I, and I mean 
anything. We could murder. We could we could do whatever we did as long as we let them know what was going on. Yeah, you know, if if there was a bit of a gang war, like during the eighties, there was a they tried to kill Ned one day at Piermont, Nettie Smith, my partner, and uh, they missed him and shot the bloke who was beside him. So when I got out of jail, I was only doing a short time. I got out of prison and I said, on a relate different related matter, a drug deal, and um, I got out of the prison and. Uh, I'd only served 18 months. I paid to get out of that by using people from the uh, the tentacles of the octopus that we had, you know, corrupt commissioner of uh, the prisons, uh, Rex Bucket Jackson. I paid him and uh, and we paid judges, you know, to, to get lighter sentences. So where was I up to? Fuck, I don't know. I'm no, just deep, well, I'm in, a bit I'm deep fucking, listening. Um, no, so Ned, they killed the dude that was next to Ned. Yeah, yeah. So, they, no, they shot him, but uh, and they shot him in the arm. I mean, he nearly lost his arm. It was a pretty powerful blow. But, you know, so I, when I got out of prison, I said, you haven't got this bloke yet. You know, and he said, no. And I said, well, why the fuck not? I said, I'm not going to be walking around with you and I become the target like the last bloke. Yeah, yeah. Right? So I said, so we either chop in and get in first so he went and seen the police and we told them who we were after and uh, so I went and did the homework I started to look around where he drank and where he did things so I followed him and followed him and then I trapped him one night seeing where he was so I went over and grabbed all of my mates and I said Ned and them and I said come on let's go and I got down there and I said well you shoot him he's the one who tried to kill you right so I said you shoot him and I'll back you up I'll come in and back you up so I'm not going to say where it was because it might yeah, yeah, give, no, give the plot away. But uh, anyway, so went into the place. When I turned around as I went in the door, I looked around and uh, my partner had done the bowl up the road and left me posted. This is Australia's most notorious gangster. Left me on my own, mate. So I just walked in and went bang, bang, shot the bloke and uh, put him down and walked out the place. So... Um, the next day, I turned up at a pub to have a drink and the copper said to me... Uh, Oh fucking Abo! He said you shouldn't have shot that bloke in the head. He said he's um, he said his brains have now swollen up. He said uh, he'll have more brains than he's ever had in his fucking life. <laughs> <coughs> I just I said fucking you kid. And I said I looked at Ned and I said, what have you already told him? He said yeah. He said don't worry about it. We're sweet. And oh, I was filthy on it. Didn't know that he'd Fuck. even told him it was me. Now if he would have died. The way Ned's ego worked was if the bloke would have died, Ned would have taken Ned the rap. Ned would have taken the rap. So he would have copped the rap and said he did it. Yeah, And nothing right. ever would have been said about it. So, you know, they've written about it. It's been in crime books. They, they know that who it was. Mm. So, uh, you know, he's been... So he died years later anyway. You know, he ended up surviving that bloke, so... But until he died of a heart attack. Yeah, right. But, um, but he ended up running Ned Smith over. Oh, fuck. Yeah, he run Ned Smith over on April Fool's Day. Uh, about 1985, I think. April Fool's Day it was, and he, he said, I'm just going to go across the road and get the car. I said, all right, I'll wait for you out the front. And he walked across the road, and the bloke waited for him and run straight over and run him over about five times, broke his collar blind, his shoulder, his back, put him in a bad way. And uh, anyway, he was, uh, you know, he survived. He's a big, strong bastard, so he knitted up all right. So what, like... You were saying before that you get in those, those situations and you stay calm. Like, do you just... Like, a lot of people, they're seeing a dude cross the road and gets yeah. fucking cleaned up. Yep. They're freaking out. Oh, fucking call the ambulance. Like, yeah. 
there's a, there's obviously a thing you've got going on that's kind of dead face calm in yeah. those kind of situations. Like, what are you feeling in a way? Well, you don't feel really feel anything. I don't. I don't even think about it. You know, but it's after I can understand how some people can get hooked on it because when you do put someone down and they go down and you, you've got that and you've shot them or it's a power thing, yeah. you know, and it comes and you have this high for a few days, you know, and then your reputation all of a sudden in the repu- you know, in that underworld circle you run in, the organised crime. I see. I, I don't call underworld un- underworld to me is just fucking people who work with who are crooks. Yeah. You know, organised crime is a completely different fucking kettle of fish. You know, and that's what I ran in organised crime. And because it sounds like you are proud of the way that you researched and and put together plans and oh, it was a you know it was a real operation well, well, it wasn't was, some fucking it wasn't like just no. sticking up a random person no, in the street no, for their no, wallet no. or robbing a chemist or a fucking yeah. convenience store no I didn't do things like that I always always thought big in my head and, and that's the way I went I went for where the money was you know and that was in the trucks going to the banks you know or the payrolls going around to you know pay off all the waterboard side workers on the streets you know you know whatever they were you know, but I always put a lot of homework into what I did. Yeah. And that really, when I left Ned Smith's gang in 86 until 1990, when I went to prison over a stabbing of a police prosecutor, I'd, I'd ran another gang of um, robbers. And uh, Did you just have the green light then once you left well, Ned? Well, of course. I, I just used the police I had. Yeah, so you'd, you know. you'd gathered enough yeah, people but, by but the time. But they said to me, I actually had, they weren't going to give me any help because they said, no, you've got to give us something. I said, I'm giving you fucking money. That's all you're getting. Yeah. And he said, I said, well, I don't tell, mate. I said, they're my fucking rules. You want to go without getting a fucking quid? Well, that's your problem. I said, but with you or without you, I'm still going to fucking do them. Mm. So they come back in about a week's time and said to me, I said, all right, we'll, we'll cop the fucking deal. So all right, good. So after that, but I never used them all the time. I might have used them on just certain ones, you know, I mean, like cockatoo because there was only one road out of there, you know, and and I knew I always had to have an unescape plan too, right? So yeah, I'd tell the police, yeah, that's the way I'm coming. So you make sure that you are going to block that, right? So in case they turned on me, the alternate route was another way. Yeah, right. Right. So just in case, it was just a a backup plan I always kept, you know, because I never trusted them 100%, you know. Some of them 80%, that's about it, right? <laughs> so I'd always do that. So that's why I had another angle and I'd, I'd just park the car 200 yards away from the robbery, parked the car in an old boat shed, hopped onto a rubber dinghy and, and fucking, not a rubber dinghy, a fucking um, outboard motorboat. Yeah, like just, a Zodiac thing or whatever. Yeah, went across the other side, heading over towards Lane Cove and, put a stick on the accelerator and headed the boat up the river on its own. So, you know, we were far gone. You know, we are in fucking manly within a fucking, you know, 20 minutes of the robbery. So we are the complete opposite way to where they were all looking. So, you know, it became, they've shown it on Gangs of Oz and things like that, of me robbing the painter. We just dressed up as painters. Yeah. So, you know, we didn't turn up with balaclavas on and all that. We'd have wigs on and beards and, you know, we'd be painting the wharf. I can remember the council bloke sitting there in the truck and they said, they, they, this came, came out later when they were doing the news and they said, what are these blokes doing doing our fucking job? That's our job, painting no the wharf. wonder why they're doing it. They must have contracted it out. Leave we are painting the wharf. Next one they pull up and they get out and 
big bloke used to jump out and strap on a real big gun and you know like the cowboys used to strap it on the side of him and he'd walk around and he'd just seen us all painting and then next minute i'd just give the word as the money came out of the back of the truck and the boat had come in to pick it up and as he's walking out onto the wharf bang we grab him right on the point everyone dropped their brushes and pulled out the guns no <laughs> so way. you know it was over and done with in five minutes and we we're gone and uh, you know 20 minutes later we're on the other side of the freaking city so uh you know but ned blew up about it in a pub he was in and screamed out oh fucking abbo got that he's got under me guard so he tried to think that i took him there once you know and then i changed my mind on doing it with him because we'd had a fallout and so i just left him out of it so in the end i, I knew he was sniffing around it he wanted to have a go at it but he wouldn't have gone that way they were they would have come unstuck coming out of there it was pretty you know so in a way I plan things really well. It doesn't matter what I did. I always plan them well, and I, because that's what you know. That's what brings you together in organised crime. You got the best blokes who can do, who can steal the eye out of a needle. Who can, yeah. you know, who can stop the alarms from going off. I'm talking about new alarms that are around. I mean, you might be digging in a tunnel from underneath a vault, and an alarm goes off. You've got to be able to disengage all these things before you even go down and start to dig because you know, he got sensitive monitors on them and so you could have some pretty smart cookies but you know if we, whatever we did there'd be a photo identikit thing put in the paper and of course it'd be noth- nothing that looks anything like us because we were paying the police yeah so that that's how it worked it was beautiful you know so anyone who didn't want to play that way well they were fools but you know to all the people on the outside of that life they all look in and say, oh, they work for the Jacks and, you know, the Jacks mean the police. Well, no, they work for fucking us. Ned might have worked for the police, you know, and the leader of uh, the, the thieving gang down in the rocks might have, Mike Mickle Early and Lenny McPherson. They all did things like that and scratched the coppers' backs. Well, I didn't. I didn't give a fuck about them. I just fucking run under the cover of that green line. Yeah. And, uh, and I did what I had to do and... To uh, survive and live live the life I wanted, and and how much money were we talking? Oh, when you millions did? and millions, mate. Fuck, back millions, then too. Millions, mate. Mate, I can look back. I can remember one little thing that we did, and uh, there was nearly eight million dollars involved in cash that come from our gang, and it disappeared. So it disappeared because you know, something that we were just about to pay for got pounced on by by another group of police. I won't say who they are because they might. Yeah. You know? So, so what? So we lost the eight million. So you got to understand that w- with all the money that comes in, there the, there are losses. Yeah. You know, and you got to accept that. You know, so you just got to put your head down and get back into it again and get back in the saddle. So. So when you've got, so you you said there was drug stuff as well that you were yeah, doing. Yeah. So would you buy the bulk drugs yeah, with the money bulk, that you? Yeah got through the um through the robberies yeah and who were you dealing with was it like foreign countries and smuggling stuff in through other countries or was it yeah, stuff that yeah, was already in the happened with other foreign countries and then it because what were the drugs that you guys were selling back well, mainly then? mainly hash you know so it was hash, all weeds weed back then black black, black hash uh, you know tons of marijuana tons of hash was uh, cocaine big back then or no, was that pre-cocaine no, no, co- coke, coke was yeah that was a little it was just starting to come around the mid 80s you know in the mm. early 80s i can't imagine a world around. without cocaine no no 
And, um, you know, I mean, if you go down the eastern suburbs, they're all full of it. Fucking oath, The higher you go up in life, the more they use it. Yeah. So, you know, so no, we missed that. So then that was the heroin and all that. So even though I didn't like really selling the heroin, you know, look, it was that week by the time it hit the friggin' street, mate. It was, uh, you know, would have given someone probably rotted their teeth and wouldn't have made them overdose. Yeah. So, you know, and that's not being a smart hus. It's being the fucking truth. I didn't want to fucking kill anyone doing it. Just fucking, you know. You got off on it, get off on it. But well, I mean, it's, you know, look, it's fucking supply and demand. Like, there's people course. that just want it. Like, it's well, I always say it's demand and supply. Like, yeah, you know, they, they demand it. They, they're the ones who want it. Yeah, you know, I, I often have arguments with, with with people, and they say, "Yeah, but you bought in tons of drugs, and you fucking did this, and you did that." I said, "Listen, I said when you go home of a night and you're drunk as a freaking fool and you flog your wife or your kids, right?" Do you go down and blame the publican for selling you the beer or do you fucking blame yourself? Mm. So that's who you blame, your fucking self. If you don't want to, you know, I had the same fucking went down the road with all my mates who went, got on the junk as young blokes, you know, sticking heroin up their arm and becoming messes, smoking that much dope that their brains were scrambled. You know, I grew up with all them blokes and yet I used to say, no thanks. You know, I don't want to go down that road. I want to, always want to keep me smarts about me, mm. you know. And uh, even though I lost those smarts when I might have been full of piss, you know, so that that was my drug of choice, and you know, and and to organise crime, it's just a commodity, mate. They're just passing it from one person to someone else, and they do whatever they fucking like with it, you know. So they don't see the consequences of some poor bastard down oh, on damn, the street. Yeah. But now I think you do. Like if you look at all the ice blokes today. The blokes who sell the ice, then you have a look at them fucking kids on that, mate. It's a bad, bad drug. Yeah. I see them down in the pub. I drink it, you know, chewing chewing their teeth together and grinding. They're, they're angry. They're ready to fucking do anything on it, you know? Yeah. So it's a t- completely different drug. I don't, you know, if I was still playing today, I would have nothing to do with that. Yeah. And I mean nothing to do with it. A horrible drug. I've seen some fucking terrible fucking things. I mean, they pull their own eyes out on the fucking shit. I mean, it's, it's pretty fuck, fucking mate. gnarly, eh? Oh, it's fucking horrible shit. What do you think with, um, like, Canada's just legalised weed completely and you've got countries like Portugal that have decriminalised all drugs? Like, as a dude that's seen both worlds, being a part of the supply chain, like, how... Would it just fucking cut it off at the knees if it was you were able to <clears throat> go to a pharmacy and buy heroin? Well, well, it probably would first off, and then they'd find something else and make something else, mm. and uh, there'd be a new drug out on the market, you know? Yep. There are, there's people always experimenting out there finding shit that's going to become the new fucking fashion, you know? Mm. And uh, so, I mean, uh, I've had but, mate, But mate let's say like cocaine mate. or whatever. Yeah. Like, that's a hugely popular drug. Yeah. If you could go to a place and buy pharmaceutical grade cocaine yeah. for every weekend yeah. like that'd have to fuck with the cartels oh fucking right? other would yeah it'd stuff them yeah and you it's know. like to to me the the people that that have these objections because like it's fucking thousands and thousands of years of drug use we're not going right. to curb drug use ever no. there's nothing that any of us can do well people are just going to sniff petrol or glue if they have to yeah, exactly to get off right. you know that that's what they want to do let them fucking do it yeah you know, I mean, you come into this fucking life and you get, you've get got a brain, you're the master of your own fucking mind. So, you know, get out there and fucking, you know, fucking simple. I'd just fucking ice crash me head at blokes who touch the drugs. I mean, mm. anyone who ever would have got on the air gang, we would have shot. Yeah, right. You know, you would have been out or at least 
out of the gang. Yeah. You know, no, no one touched it, mate. The only bloke who ever did was a hitman who came down from Melbourne who got into our company was Christopher Dale Flannery, who they call Renekill. Yeah, right. And he became a very infamous person. They had three inquests into his death. Why, I'll never fucking know. But, um, uh, you know, he, he used to get on the coke and try and get Ned Smith on it, you know, my partner. And I used to just fucking look at Ned and shake my head, just say, the fuck's wrong with you? Yeah. You know? But, uh, you know, but that he'd have to be full of coke to go and do a fucking murder, go mm. and do a hit, you know what I mean? It gave him the balls to go and do it. Yeah. And they, did, they didn't have no ability at armed robberies. They were hopeless at them. They couldn't do any yet. They didn't have the skill, so killing people becomes an easy option to take a, take on board. And, you know, blokes who are doing it today are getting paid three and 400000 for a hit. Well, it's harder to do know these I mean? days, I guess. Oh, that's right. You know, because of all the surveillance and technology and, you know, the mobile phones they carry. I mean, we yeah. had things way back in the old days that uh, they look like a telephone monitor, you know, like, you know, your TV channel changer, but I had a mouthpiece on it and an earpiece and say Ned had one and I had one and everyone in the gang had one. So we'd just ring up, you punch in what you want to say in text and then you just put it up to the mouthpiece and say, you ready, Charlie? That means he switched on for his end. He puts his, his earpiece onto the phone. Then I press the button on, on this little computer and he'd go, just a little whistle like that. When the whistle finished, the message would gone. And then he'd come up and he'd put in his code to break the code and then open and he'd be the text. Once it come up, it del- yeah, then you had to delete it. But fucking... That's fucking mate, wild. it was wild, wild stuff. Where but, were you getting that shit from? Well, we're getting it off blokes who came from overseas. I was going to say, know, like all that shit would have to come from America, yeah, right? yeah. You know, we had things that you'd, you'd whack into a lock and just like a gun, you'd keep pressing it until the lock come undone. Uh, you know, little things, little little other clips could pop up and down. Another one, two, two might pop up, three. Yeah. Bang, oh, the lock, caught the lock, bang, gone. You know, they, they were caught what you call, you know, uh, skeleton keys. Yeah, yeah. You know, they open anything. So, you know, we had things like that. We had fucking uh, shit that I used to wear, thing like in me, if we were going to meet someone new to do a deal with, you'd wrap it around your stomach, it was like a belt, and then it had like an old shoehorn in it you used to put in your shoes to keep your shoes yeah. in shape, and that'd sit on the inside of your leg, and if you got near anyone and they were wired up, say it was a policeman or an undercover copper or, or a bloke trying to wire you up to pass on to the police, well, it'd tap your leg. So as soon as it started tapping you, the closer you got to the person who had it on them, Fuck the faster it'd tap you. That's right? sick. You know, so... Well, I ripped the bloke's shirt off one day down in the pub and uh, here he was all wired up and he said, I'm only here to catch the SP blokes, mate, I'm a policeman, mm. right? So, And he said, we walked outside the pub and he said, see that white van there? That's where they're recording it. I said, oh, I'll be fucked, you know. That was in the old days and they used to have big cassettes and put them into the car and yeah. tune it into the frequency of the radios, you know. Right. You know, that's how they had to pick it up then, you know. Technology's got a lot better since then, so. But, uh, you know unbelievable stuff yeah it's pretty it's pretty crazy like what um what was the lifestyle then that you guys were able to live like if you're dealing with you know if eight yeah. million bucks can yeah. go fucking yeah. missing back in the yeah. you know 70s and 80s yeah. late was, 70s and 80s yeah so it was a pretty pretty solid lifestyle you had going oh, on oh yeah we'd do what we liked you know go on nice holidays and do things I was going to say did you travel much oh yeah but not overseas I didn't worry about going you know I was always 
needed to be on call virtually yeah. nearly all the time. So, you know, I might piss off for a couple of weeks here and there. I remember once I went to Dunk Island and ended up ringing Ned when I was up there after I'd been missing about a week. Where the fuck you been? I said, I'm on holidays. I'm having a holiday. Just did a he big said, job. I said, well, what, do I don't, what do I need to fucking come in to fucking see you and ask for a fucking break? You know what I mean? I said, get staffed. You know, so that was actually the worst time I did that because when I did it, he had two weeks to be with my crew uh. and he started poisoning their minds about me, see? And he started to tell them that the police wanted me dead when it was him and Flannery wanted me dead. Uh. And so they tried to eliminate me then. He, he started... It's a, that life breeds egos, mate, so big you can't fucking jump over. So do you reckon you know? that's the real problem with living that oh, life? Oh, fucking... Is that people... Egos are fucking huge, mate. And mm. greed is fucking, you know, you think, fuck me. You know, or they want to kill, and kill someone because he's, you know, he's got 200,000 on him. I'd say, well, fucking leave me out of that. And that's where my principles come into it. And that's why I can look back and go, whatever I did, I did because I had to fucking do it. Mm. Not because someone had fucking more money than me or fucking, you know what I mean? I didn't ever. So I kept my principles right where, I, where they fucking should have been. And because of that, I had a lot of trust with a lot of people. They trusted me. But in saying that, I've had 20 attempts on my life through, only through two people that I'd ever came through. It came through Ned and then a bloke that he ran with after he got out of my company. And then he became like he wanted to be Neddy. Yeah. You know? And he, he was ex- I called him the clone in my book. Mm. He was the exact likeness of Ned, except he was a smaller version. Yeah. You know? And he wanted to be... Mr. Big and carry on, you know, where I said, mate, you can have all them titles you fucking like, you know. You know, you go and do what you do and I'll do what I do and never the twain's mate, mate, you know. But he'd given evidence against me, so he needed to shut it up, uh. right? Now this, So he went out and said, this is what Ned's saying, telling the, the coppers, the detectives, this is what Ned's saying out there. And Abbo's now backing him up, right? But he didn't know the truth because he wasn't in my yard, so I could never get over and tell him that when I was in prison. And next minute he started going out in, in cars himself. And I thought, fucking where was he going? Then he come back one day and I said, where are you been today? He said, uh, he said I just got taken into town by the police. And he said, he said uh, but they, um, no, no, he didn't say that, sorry. He said to me, he said, the, the screws took me over to Silwater Jail uh, to start serving me time there. And uh, I said, well, why would they do that? You're in maximum security at the moment. Why would they take her there? And he said, uh, well, they reckon I've only got a few years to go. And so they sent me there. I said, well, the class board hadn't even, classification board for all that stuff hasn't even sat yet. And I thought, there's something fucking wrong here. So then when I realised he'd been going out, giving information to the police about what Ned's doing and, and I'm backing up this story that Ned's telling, which I didn't. All I backed up was... Yeah, I, I guess we had a green light. Yeah, <laughs> that right. was it. So that wasn't enough evidence to sink any bastard, you know. So it became a white elephant, really. The whole ICAC investigation. Yeah, yeah, right. But he went and covered his ass by telling his own gang, the same as Ned did. Uh, the police want him killed, right? So we're going to get him killed. So look, they go right out, fucking beautiful. Give us a green light, you know what I mean? So then a new gang come on play, you know. So they, they were trying to take over and didn't want me out there to fucking come and stick me out into their business. 
So when did you really start getting the feeling that, that Ned was out to get you? Uh, well, I realised that he was... Well, I always knew that Ned was never the one who was ever going to pull the trigger. I'd learnt that through experience, through running in the door and him taking off, mm. you know. I always found... And I thought, this bloke's got the falsest reputation as far as an assassin goes. Yeah. You know, yeah, he's a big, strong bloke and he was tough and he could fight and... But he he was far from what reputation that they ever gave him. You yeah, know? yeah. When it come to the real violence, he wasn't. You know, I was more violent than Ned. You know, even though Ned's doing life, I was more violent than. Is Ned. he still in jail, or is he? Yeah, dead Ned's now? been in thirty-one years. Is he? So he's still alive. Yeah, he's only done about seven years of his second life sentence, and that's right. for a murder he never committed. But he talked himself into it because he was big note into a cellmate, and the cellmate wired him up on. You know, the police had bugs in his cell and uh, he and you, brought himself unstuck. And you know he didn't do it. I fucking know he didn't do it. That's fucking crazy. You know, I know 100% he didn't do it. And is he the kind of guy that can handle prison the same way you can? No, or? that's why he wanted to roll over, mate. Yeah, right. Yeah, so he, once he went in there, he thought someone else is going to get the green light like we've had. I, I don't want him to do it. So, you know what I mean? He wanted to fuck it for everybody else. Yeah. And he thought, in the end, no one will care. I'm only talking about coppers. But... That wasn't what happened. Well, when the ICAC wouldn't give him any time off his sentence, he realised that he'd been had. Yeah. The National Crime Authority then grabbed him and took him down and they uh, started asking questions about murders that had happened. So he started blaming Roger Rogerson for murders that him and someone else had been involved in to get himself out of the way. Yeah. Right? And so they'd help him. Well, then they didn't help him. So he went to the federal police. They didn't help him. So he ended up now he's done... That when he finished 25 years, they came up and you said, said your first life sentence finished, and you're starting on your second one. And he, you know, he was nowhere near it. He ordered it, he ordered the hit, but he did, he didn't kill him. He wasn't there when the bloke was killed, but he knew how he died and what gun he did because he gave the bloke the gun to go and kill him. Fucking so, idiot. You know, so you know, that's the way he worked and operated. He used people that, you know, and I realised that after I'd run in on that bloke that I shot. I thought, well, I ain't running in the door first off next time. Mm. You know what I mean? You got a problem if there's a problem. And my my rule was, it's got to come. It's got to be the last resort. Yeah. You know, to go and knock someone, kill them. It's got to be the last resort. There's got to be a reason for, you know, decapping their knees or friggin', you know. So. I'd go into things and I'd say, oh, look, it's only fucking 30000 or something the bloke fucking ripped us for. Just give him a fucking serve and fuck off and he'll never work with us again. Yeah. You know, where he'd want to go and get him and fucking and fucking get two blokes in the gang to go and fucking chop him up. Well, I used to get the shit with all that shit, you know? Yeah. And um, so that's why, you know. But regardless of how many murders ever happened around the place or robberies or whatever we did, you know, no one ever came and sued us about them. Mm. You know what I mean? So, you know, we could we had free reign to do what we fucking wanted to do as long as we didn't take it into the public arena. And the public arena meant hurting a policeman, you know. Fucking, um, but sometimes we did. I remember one night the organised crime squad came into a fucking club we were in and we were drinking with a detective there at the time who was a big in police inspector. Anyway, they came in and someone overheard them say on the way up the escalator into this place it was in the Imperial Arcade in Sydney between George and Castle Ray I think and they uh, 
as they were coming up, they said, oh, that gang gets up here, why don't we fucking get into them? There was about 10 of them. They thought, oh, there's only three of us, they'll fucking bash us. So they come up up the fucking stairs, but we already knew about it because some bloke had overheard them talking about it. So as soon as they come up, we sent them some money down to have a fucking drink instead. Here's some money, have a drink. And they said, tell them to get fucked. <laughs> so the big copper walked down and offered them the money who was with us. He said, that's from Ned and the boys. He said, uh, tell them to get fucked. They come back and he said, they told you to get fucked. So Ned run down and went fucking bang, bang, upended one of the coppers. And then it just erupted. A bloke from another gang jumped in and fucking bashed him. And then I jumped in, you know. So the, the, they were supposed to be out doing surveillance on on other blokes, you know, running around during all this gang war bullshit in the early 80s, you know. And, uh, and here we are fucking flogging the organised crime squad that's out supposed to be doing this job. So that's why we got through the break on that. Another time the federal police followed us all day trying to keep up with us and we're having a day on the drink, you know, celebrating after a, after a good week's uh, fucking crime sprees, right? Yeah. So we were up the air crew bar in King's Cross and uh, as we, anyway, these coppers come in and we knew they'd been with us all day. So we just didn't give a fuck, right? So when we got in there anyway, we knew they were all federal police. So I jumped up and I used to do a bit of singing, you know, as a young bloke going talent quest and all that. So Yeah, really? Yeah, so there was a bloke there called Terry King. He used to play the piano up there all night in this all-night bar up there. It was a great little bar and uh, the air crew bar. So we get up there and started doing, um, and I said, listen, he, he said, Abo, do you want to get up and do a, a song? I said, yeah, good as God, mate. What'd you so sing? I jumped up and uh, started to sing my way. Well, so that's so I'm singing it. Uh, the fucking uh, copper come over and he said, get off the fucking stage, let someone else up there. Right? I, so I was on the microphone like this and I just unscrewed it, you know, pulled it out of the mic and I said, you'll have to excuse me for a minute. I said, we've got some imbeciles in the audience, so I'll just deal with it. So I went, oh. I walked straight over, went fucking crash, left hook one of them, down one of them, up and went, it was on. So we walked into a me and this other bloke from this other gang, I just called him John. So we flogged these covers, give them a horrible hide and all those feds. And Ned and that took off out the door again. Fucking him and this other bloke. So next fucking minute, uh, we got a call. The leader of his gang actually got a call, and he had a lot of connections with the police. They were just thieves and drug importers, yeah. you know, who used all the wharves. They had all the power with all that. And we were the armed robbers and the fucking did all the heavy shit, you know. So he went to – he came back and got a message off his boss from the head coppers right up the top, you know, and they said uh, – what the fuck do they think fucking Abbo and fucking John are doing? You know, fucking flogging all the coppers. He said, well, you know, they fucking annoyed the shit out of him. And he said, anyway, they weren't supposed to be there. They were supposed to be on their job. Same thing. And so he said, they get away with it this time. Well, we always got away with it. Sometimes it might have cost us, you know, 30 grand or something like that. Just and so what would they, would they come to you, the cops would then come to you and say, look, yeah, they just fuck now. Now you've created work for us. That's right. We've got to fill in some fucking paperwork. Exactly. You're going to pay us for the time. Basically. That's right. Exactly. So we'd always sling them something and fucking shut them up, you know. Yeah. And then it just kept everything sweet. But you know, so they soon learnt not to fuck around with us. And you know, I mean, there's been times when I've been on my own when I've looked over and said, "Hello, there's fucking twenty of them bastards that I bashed." I had to sneak out the fucking door. You know what I mean? Because so you pick your fights. You're not, you're oh, not going yeah, not into fucking it being an idiot. Not, not fucking stupid. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, uh, yeah, so, you know, look. But for all those thing, things, I used to even say to Ned, say, mate, what the fuck? I remember one night we were down at the Lord Nelson Hotel. 
there was some water police down there all drinking in the group and uh, this is right down in the rocks area the Lord Nelson you know and uh, anyway pretty toffy sort of an area these days you know in the old days it was a, just mm. a slum you know but uh, we were down there and next minute these um, uh, federal police uh, the waterside police came in and one of them yelled out what are you doing with your fucking uh, daughter out with you tonight so Ned had this young Sheila that he was rooting at the time and um, she was always dressed up to the nines and hanging off him, you know. Yeah, trophy, so, trophy so, chick. Yeah, you know, so th- that's how he carried around as the trophy. And uh, so next fucking minute, Ned ran over and whacked him and pulled his knife out and went, and it went right up through his fucking jumper, luckily, right, and didn't go into him, right. Well, next fucking minute, Ned's gone bang, knocked him out, and... Uh, as he'd done, another copper jumped up from the table and yelled out, Officer down! Oh. And he ran over to the bar and grabbed the phone, started to dial the numbers, and I tapped him on the shoulder when he turned around and went, bang, hit him straight up under the fucking chin and said, make that two. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, those sort of rumours flew around the freaking underworld, you know. Oh, they knocked out one and then said, here's, make it two. Bring so, an ambulance. <laughs> so then I guess that... You said that ego is like the thing in the underworld, but yeah. is reputation just as important? Oh, fucking no. So you were more focused. Were you more focused on reputation than ego? Oh, fucking reputation, yeah, above yeah. everything. And like, and I won. You know, my reputation, I always portrayed out there was that I'd speak to anybody, I could go to any gang and talk to anybody, you know, and that I was, you could be, you could trust me. Yeah, you know, that's the fucking reputation I had. But that they knew that I was fucking violent if I fucking had to be, you know. But I'd rather go and sort something out with me mouth yeah. and fucking try and calm things down than to, you know, go and attack them and start fucking shooting at them and carrying Because that's on. just going to create more yeah, shit to exactly. deal with, right? So when, it, so when Ned actually started running with uh, Chris Flannery, got into our company, come up from Melbourne and started working for George Freeman, one of the old... Lenny McPherson gangs, the the old school that had been operating for 30 years. He started working with him, this Chris Flannery, and it soon got around town that we heard a rumour that Ned come and see me one night, and he said, I've just been told over the phone, he said that Christopher Dale Flannery wants to kill you and me. And I said, well, I fucking doubt that. I said, I know Chris. I said, I fucking, he wouldn't want to kill me. And I thought, you fucking liar, Ned. You're only using me in it, so I'll come with you. Mm. You know. So I said, all right, well, let's go down and fucking front him. I know where he lives. So we'll go down. He said, no, we'll fucking kill him. I said, all right, we'll go to his fucking house and give it to him. So he lived at Tempe. So as we're going down, he said, no, no, look, we'll go up into Pitt Street into my girl's unit. And he said, I want to ring Roger first. What do you want to ring fucking Roger Rogerson for? Was he the police? He was dude? the head. He was the head copper that, yeah, yeah. that that had that gave Ned the green light. You know? Yeah, yeah. And he said uh, he's in prison now, doing a life sentence. You know, for killing. Oh, the, really? Killing the little Asian bloke. Um, he just got in a big ice deal. Fuck. And uh, yeah, he got sentenced to life. Him and another copper. Shit. So uh, anyway, so he was the Sydney's Australia's most notorious copper for sure, Roger Rogers. And. Um, so he went down and uh, where was I? I kept on running off the track. Going up, he, he wanted to call Roger because yeah, said, yeah. Let's he went and I said, "What do you want to get him involved for?" He said, "He said I'll just cover our ass when things happen." I said, "I said let's just go and fucking see the goose first. Yeah, fucking find, find out, out. Real. right? You know." So anyway, Roger ended up setting up a meeting in the Foster's Hotel in the city and uh, in Kent Street, the Sydney. So I went down to the Foster's Hotel and in comes 
fucking Chris, and he said, hello, Abba, where you going, mate? Because I'd known him from the uh, prison when he was on remand. They extradited him up here from Melbourne on the murder charge, and, uh, of which he beat. He beat the charges. Anyway, he came up and uh, he walked in, and we said, well, you know, those are the rumours we've heard. Do you want to kill Well, he said, I don't know. That's not true. So the more we delved into it and got into the he nodded his head to it. He said, yeah, I did. He said, I said something to... He said, he said, I did it deliberately so I'd get to meet you. Yeah, right. Right, meet Ned, right? And I went, yeah, fucking liar. You know, so he dead said, said it, don't worry about that. So so you think this Chris dude was lying or Ned? Oh, no, Chris was lying. When he said but that he only yeah, did it to meet you. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. You know, So I worked it out. But then Roger, Roger said it'd be good if you all got on. Why don't you fucking, you know, put him in the fucking team? So Ned was talking about it on the way home. I said, you're fucking kidding, aren't you? I said, I know him. I said, but he's a toe cutter. He'll fucking shoot you in the back. He said, he don't give a fuck. He's got no principle or anything. So I said, fucking, don't, if you, you want to fucking run with him, I said, then I'm going. Mm. Right? Well, then they started, this is when the attempts on my life started to happen, all around this time. So by Ned Smith himself with others that he hired in that gang like Chris Flannery being one of them so they, so Ned ended up bringing Chris into his gang into, into the team you know and then knocking around with us all the time right well his wife hated me guts one night we were having a meeting during the gang wars in 84 1984 and it was that the meeting was held down in a bloke called Tony Eustace's bar who Chris Flannery ended up murdering right and uh, we we had a meeting down there in the uh, a double bay and uh, he brought his wife along with him. Well, as I've told you, I don't involve women in things. Anyway, while we were sitting there, she walked over and left the table she was on and came over and sat with me. And she said, Abbo, can I just ask you something? She said, how many people have you killed? And I said, well, if I'd killed anyone, you'd be the last cunt I'd tell. <laughs> right? Well, with that, she just got up. She said, apparently we went on the same wavelength. I said, no, we're fucking, fucking not. And I said, sorry about that. I just don't talk to women about anything, love. So she goes over and tells him, he starts biting on his bourbon glass and fucking... Getting all fired As if up. they're supposed to going to be fucking worrying me, you know. So uh, I didn't give a fuck about him physically. I would have fucking, you know, I've already picked him up and dumped him on his head before, so... Um, anyway, he um, started fucking talking and carrying on crap. And I said, listen, what the fuck? He wa- what he wanted Ned to do, he wanted Ned to fucking join forces with him and then take over the old gang. I said, they've got nothing left, mate. What the old gang's got's all fucking gone. You know, what George Freeman does is still do the gambling. We can start up our own gambling if that's what you want, but there's no, there's fucking, no, money mo- there's no fucking money in that now. You know, there might be if you've got the right people, but it's too much fucking drama. You're always chasing up fucking money all the time. Yeah. The deals we do today, we get fucking cash in the end. And I said... What are you, what are you going to gain out of it? I said, if you can tell me there's something we can gain out of it, then I'm all for it. I'll join you, right? But if not, I'm fucking out. Count me out. So when I left the company that night, they fucking all started jabbering together. Yeah. You know? And, and how then, much, like, piss is involved in this? Like, are they, oh, are no. they you know... Do, oh, no, is, that's just part of it. No, they were talking when they were staying cold sober about it. Yeah, so, right. So you know it's not I? like a thing that's fueled by no, fucking... No, yeah, no, right. no. No, no, we'd we only just got there, so we're all staying cold sober. So anyway, by the end of the fucking night, you know, she'd convinced him that I should go and... What a cunt. So, so next fucking minute, 
you know, money from the safe that I, I hide in one of these fucking pub fucking disappears. Then I find out that it's the, pub, the publicans fucking handed over the money to someone else, which was my money. So I jammed a fucking gun in his mouth to find out who fucking did it. And then he told me Ned had sent a bloke down there to pick up the money. So I said, fuck it, I'm going up the fucking front of him. So next minute he rings me. I'm at a place because we, we didn't walk around with mobiles. You know? yeah, yeah. The mobiles then were big block fucking batteries that you fucking had to carry an handle, you know. Yeah. Not too big. So. And uh, even if they did, I wouldn't have never talked over them, you know, or even fucking carried one to tell you the fucking truth. So away we went and uh, so I fucking bustled on up the street or just up from this hotel where I kept the money. So I took a gun with me, jammed it down the back of me fucking pants and I knocked on the door of the unit of Ned's girlfriend. Next minute the door opened and she looked at me and blinked her eyes about ten times in succession, you know, yeah. like a, as a warning, which was very nice of her. I've always respected her for that. But I already knew. I knew in me fucking heart something, but I'm going into the lion's den. That's what I do, you know. I don't... There's no good me fucking running away and fucking hiding. Uh, you know what I mean? There's no point in that. They're gonna, so I walk in and said, I'm going to fucking front it. Whatever happens, I'm ready. Yeah. You know? So I walked in, and as I walked in, Ned and two blokes were standing just to me left. Kathleen Flannery, Christopher Dale Flannery's wife, who was a horrible fucking woman, she was on the uh, sitting on the end of the lounge, and um, Chris Flannery was sitting on the lounge with his hand under a pillow, under the pillow. I've seen enough so, movies yeah, to fucking right. know what that means. Uh, exactly. So that's where the gun was with the silencer on it, right? And so... Next minute, Ned said, oh, we've just got to go somewhere for a minute. We'll be back in a sec. I said, well, you need to talk to me fucking first. And he said, we'll be back in a fucking minute. So they walk out the door. She's and still fucking looking at me, looking me funny looks, fucking Michelle, Ned's girlfriend. So I walked out in the kitchen where she was, and she just said, look out. I said, yeah, I'm a Jerry. So anyway, I went back, and as I walked back, I got closer to him, and I said, well, where'd Ned go? He said, oh, fuck do I know, and he started gesturing with his hands. The moment his hand come away from the pillow, I fucking pounced on him, you know, on the land. And I pulled my own gun out, fucking stuck it on his fucking jaw, pulled his gun out and said, look, and so you're carrying this with the silencer on for fucking nothing, eh, you fucking dog? So I'm just, mate, I'm probably seconds away from fucking putting a mongrel down, Yeah. you know, and the fucking door comes open, and in comes a shield. Well, I spun around with the fucking gun in me out, aiming at the fucking woman because I thought it was them coming back in. Yeah. So I thought, bang, bang, they're fucking shot. He's fucking shot. I'm shooting a lot of them, right? So next fucking minute it was this woman who worked down the Lord Nelson Hotel who was a friend of Michelle's. She'd come into the fucking unit. So I had to walk away, you know, otherwise I would have had to have killed her and, you yeah, know, yeah. to shut her up. And I don't kill fucking women or have anything to do with that. So I walked away. And uh, I, I fucking... I'm sorry that happened because, you know... I was going to say, how much drama did that create? Oh, well, it created fucking ease. Well, now they, they knew. They thought, I'm, he fucking knows. He's not fucking dumb. Yeah, so He's now they fuck, have to do it. So now we have to fucking get him. So they started putting all these plans of action into into fucking play. Well, in between all that happening, the, the story is that Roger Rogerson was offered a deal by Chris Flannery and a bloke called Williams from Melbourne over a drug case. And he was asked to, he was given $50,000 to go and bribe this copper called Michael Drury. So Roger apparently gets in touch with him, and I say allegedly because I wasn't there, right? So, but I know how it all went down because I've had been in conversations about it. So they go to this 
he, he meets this copper and he says, I want to give you some money to pull up on this case in Melbourne, this Williams case. And he said, I can't, it's gone too far. And uh, he said, uh, I can't help you. They walked away. So next minute they said, well, look, can't you offer him more money? So he tried. Rogerson apparently tried to bribe him again and he said, no, I can't do it. So the next fucking plan of action was, let's fucking kill him. Here's half a million on the table. That's what it's going to cost you, right? So Rogerson and Flannery meet in a restaurant with Buffett Williams, you know, the dog. And they said to him, right, Al, he said, we'll do it half a million. So they would get 250000 <coughs> up front and then 250000 on the result. Yeah. Right? So the first 250000 apparently turned up in their pocket, right? And... So next minute, they're having discussions about it. Well, I'm at this house one day at the back of Flannery's and we're, they're having discussions about it. And I said, you're seriously not going to go and fucking shoot a copper, are you? Are you fucking serious? And he said, we said, I'll get me mate from Melbourne. He's coming up, Laurie Prendergast. And he said, we'll fucking do the robberies. Yeah, we'll do the, the fucking hit on him, you know. And I said, mate, you're fucking kidding. You're just going to bring the biggest heat on the fucking gangs here in this city. That'd be the worst thing that can fucking happen. I said, are you involved in it or what do you want to do? He said, I'm just fucking listening. Thought, well, you'll be behind the goalpost when it fucking happens anyway. Yeah. Right? And uh, because he never took the fucking ball up with anything like that. And I said, all right, well, well, leave me fucking out of that one too. Right? I said, you're the fucking mentally fucking retarded, mate. So anyway, I walked away. Well, that was another reason they wanted to fucking kill me. Yeah. So anyway, what happened? Drury gets shot at his house. Shot in the chest, fucking fucking ends up in hospital in a coma for fucking, you know, a couple of weeks. He comes out of it and he... So they, bl- didn't, they didn't kill him? No, they didn't kill him. So so then that was the worry and concern. He started to fucking talk. Yeah. And uh, and he blamed Rogerson. So next minute... So because he's not dead, he already knows that that already offered him the money that's that, come from exactly, Rogerson. So exactly. So you're not going to do the job, you're going to exactly. get hit. So the police who get sent down there, of course, are all friends of Rogers. Mm. Right, so they all go into the hospital to fucking see him, and they say this. I mean, all of this was played out on Blue Murder, the the documentary that they did about uh. our gangs in the eighties. Right, so this is all part of that, and um, they went down and fucking uh, and and did all this fucking business. Anyway, then next minute he just said fucking no. Uh, he said, I'm telling you the truth. Rogerson fucking offered me the bribe and this is what happened and, and I believe this is the result of it. But the cops you know? already know that Rogers because he's yeah, one of the Yeah, of course they fucking yeah. know. But yeah. anyway, so they suspend Rogerson from the force. He gets fucking, gets the ass from the force. And then next fucking minute, you know, like you've got to remember I'm still involved in these fucking discussions people are having and I'm fucking blowing up about it, you know. Next fucking minute I get fucking pulled in by a fucking not pulled in I was standing on the side of the street down the rocks area and these coppers pulled up he was an American he had an American accent and uh, he got out of the car and said uh, I believe uh, you're a suspect in the fucking shooting of fucking Drury I said oh, fucking pull me out don't, don't put me in that fucking fucking line up mate right and I said well you can do the best you fucking can mate but you know good luck with it yeah. right I've never had nothing to do with it so I'll see you later so that was the end of that Anyway, I went and told Rogerson about it. I said, I was just confronted over this and this fucking copper. I said, I said, I've got a fucking sniff on this. I don't like fucking like it. Yeah. Well, that's what happened. They thought, we need a scapegoat, right? Mm. So I became the scapegoat. But you, you weren't known necessarily as a dude that was doing hits, right? 
No, not really. I was more... It would have been just through business yeah, as opposed uh, main, to like... Mainly I was known through business, but they knew that I wouldn't fuck around with you, right? Yeah, I, you I'd, to. I'd cut you in half and fucking, you know, I'd stab you in the fucking heartbeat. But um, if I had to... But mainly they knew I was a bloke with me fist and me word, and that, but they knew I was a man of me word. But I'd I'd had an incident where the police in 1980 had fucking shot me on a drug deal, and uh, because I threatened an undercover copper and that stuffed up the green light, so mm. you know for me at that time until I got out, then I went in front of the copper that fucking uh, set me up, and I said no hard feelings, mate, I'm over it. Don't know. So that gave me a, a leap back into it. You know, so I was allowed to still operate and carry on. So right. how did how did the fucking you breezed over getting shot by a cop pretty quick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I just got that? over it, mate. You know, I just no. Fucking, but like, what was the actual thing? Like, how did you get shot? Where did he fucking shoot? Uh, you I was at North Sydney doing a drug deal, and uh, the bloke I was doing it with happened to be an undercover copper, uh. and um, I got set up. And uh, anyway, and at the time I was sort of. I just finished doing nine months over a gun, like previous to that, and the coppers had done a bit of a trick on me and didn't. I was supposed to walk and get a bond, but uh, they didn't. They got before the wrong magistrate, and the magistrate sentenced me. Mm. So they said, "Just appeal it, and you'll get out, and you still give us the money that you're going to pay us." And I said, "I'll stick it up your ass. I'm going to do the nine months." Yeah, right. So I said, "Fuck you! If you can't organise fucking things properly, then, <laughs> then you can get fucked." So I went to the jail for nine months, and when I come out, I was a bit short of cash. Right, so I thought I fucking need to do something. So I went and fucking organised some drugs and and found this fucking bloke one day just through talking to him. So I did a bit of homework on him, followed him home, and fucking watched where he went. And fucking I couldn't see him with fucking running around with coppers anywhere. But then I walked into a pub one day in Malara, and there he was drinking with these cops. And I said, "What are you doing with them? They're all fucking drug squad fucking police." He said, I'm just doing fucking business with them, mate, you know. I said, oh, well, that's fucking good if you can do that. He said, oh, I can do it. And he said, anyway, let's finish this deal first. And he said, well, fucking anyway. I started to get a bit sniffy about it, but I was sort of a little bit desperate at the time. Rocking a hard place. Yeah, you know what I mean. And so next fucking minute, I fell for the fucking bait. But what I did, I grabbed him and he was wired up. He had a fucking tape recording going so he could record everything. And I met him and I said, if you fuck me around... If you try and rip me off for this fucking pound of heroin, if you fucking do this or do that, I'll put a bullet right through your fucking head on the spot. Right? You understand? And uh, he said, yeah, mate, no worries. Well, that was the fucking straw that broke the camel's back. The copper said, fuck him. Shoot him on sight. So when they fucking, when I come out of the pub, I walked out of this fucking pub in Mount Street, North Sydney, Went to the car where I was, sat in the driver's seat, opened up passenger door, he looked in, seen the gear, and he said, I'll just get down to the boot of the car. He walked into the boot of his car to get the money, he's supposed to give me 90000 at the time. Anyway, as he's walking, as the boot shuts, I just see him take off up the road. I went, fuck! Well, I started looking everywhere and I seen these garbage trucks all blocked the street, uh. right? And fucking coppers jumped out of the pub, out of everywhere, out of all these buildings in Mount Street. It was lunchtime in North Sydney, like fucking people everywhere. But I went, fuck, there's a big gap here. Like, what the fuck's going on? Well, I spun my head that way, and as I did, I seen the copper run at me with a shotgun and put it right up in the window, and I threw my hands over my eyes, my face, and I went back. Well, one of the pellets come through my fingers there and lodged in my eye, and the other ones went in the top of my head, right? So I went fucking flying back. And fucking all the clarets coming out. And they hopped in the car, pulled out a gun and stuck it under me, 
and dragged me out onto the street with this gun. So the gun had come out, and there were all the lunchtime workers to so see the gun. So they see you with a gun. But my gun I had was sitting in the console of the car, uh-huh. right? Next minute they find another gun. They went, oh, fuck, he's already got a gun, right? So when I said to the bloke, I've got to fucking shoot you if you rob me, well, I fucking meant it. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So anyway, so next fucking minute I ended up doing business anyway and um, I got uh, the commissioner of police, uh, commissioner of uh, the corrective services. I got released on a special licence. I did about 18 months jail. Like, but it was a headline fucking job, you know, in the day. You know, trying to make it, thing, saying oh, they make fucking, a big deal, yeah. fucking Abu Henry kind yeah, of. Yeah, you know what I mean. And um, so th- then I started to get a little bit sort of notorious from then. You know what I mean. That's uh, what really put me up the on the, the ladder, yeah, yeah, in the spotlight a lot, which I didn't fucking like. Yeah, you know, and um, you know I didn't want to walk around and be known as the fucking you know this fucking bloke. I'd rather fly under the radar and do what I did and fucking go home fucking peacefully. Yeah, you know, but. Um, you know, sometimes it just didn't happen that way in this life, unfortunately. But so anyway, so what happened, Flannery and that, they decided, well, fucking, what about Abbo? So they had a meeting at fucking Chris Flannery's house one day and the girlfriend of Ned Smith was there and actually overheard them discussing the coppers with Kathy Flannery and Chris Flannery that I was to be used as the scapegoat, uh. right, for the murder. So that means Rogerson was involved, that means fucking... You know, everyone was involved and Ned knew about it, everyone knew about it, except fucking me. Right, so I'd, I'd just left his company. This is late 1984, 85. I said, see you fucking later, I'm out of there. So I started to build my own gang then, right, another gang. And uh, so during all this, I was doing these robberies, fucking Cockatoo Island and fucking, you know, other robberies of the sort and uh, surviving on that and doing what I did. And then fucking, next fucking minute, they've, um, I just started getting a few sniffs, something wasn't right, you know, and one day I was just sitting there and I heard this gun go off beside my head. That's them psychic things that happened to me. Yeah, right. And I, just, I was sitting there just up by nodding off and then next minute I just heard bang and I, I fucking sat up like that and I went, what the fuck was that? And I thought, well, fucking next minute the phone rings and it's Ned. Here you go, mate, all right, you want to catch up? And I fucking um, said, I still get some money for you, remember? And I went... The one that he stole from the pub. Yeah, right, and I went, yeah, right here. Anyway, I fucking hung up and I thought, I just heard that fucking gunshot. Like, that's what woke me up. This is a fucking morning, you know? So I thought, no, I'm not fucking turning up, right? So I fucking... There was something definitely going to go down that fucking day, right? So I went, no, no, fuck it, I'm not going. So I... I got in touch with him, rung him back and said, uh, well, I won't be coming in today, I'll fucking catch it. I said, drop it into my place, right, on your way home. No, no, come and get it now. I said, no, I'm fucking too busy. I said, just drop it to my fucking place. Anyway, other than that, I said, I don't want nothing to do with you. I've already told you that. So you're on your fucking own. I said, you were a fucking imbecile. Things, things you're getting involved in, you know, even though he wasn't part of it. And uh, anyway, so I go up home and uh, next fucking minute he rang me up and he said listen uh, Sugar Ray Robinson today uh, not, yeah Sugar Ray Sugar Ray Robinson was it Sugar Ray Robinson and uh, Marvis Marvin Hagler are fighting today for the world title oh you mean I, Sugar Ray Leonard Sugar, Sugar Ray Leonard yeah, I yeah, mean yeah. sorry oh, and right. um, 
Yeah, so I said, all right, well, we'll go down and watch the fight. I said, give me an opportunity to get some money back that I I um, had a bet with Ned over with um, another fight, and I lost 5000 to him. I was filthy on it, right? So I said, I'll bet you 5000 I'll back Leonard. He said, all right, yeah, you're on. So that was the reason I went down there. So I knew he wanted to talk to me. And he said, listen, I know that you're, you're fucking been right all along. He said, you know, getting involved in this, trying to fucking knock the gang of fucking Lanny's gang and uh, getting involved in this fucking police shooting, I understand. He said, I know where you're coming from. And he said, we should get rid of them. He said, we'll team up and get rid of them. I said, oh, I don't fucking trust you anymore, Ned. Yeah. You know, I just can't fucking trust you. And he said, oh, I fucking promise you, mate. He said, you know, if we wanted to get you, good have my God. I said, well, you fucking think You tried. Yeah, I said, you've already fucking tried. You set me up. I didn't know that was going to happen. I said, oh, fucking please. Anyway, he said, no matter what's happened, let's it, let it fucking, we'll sort it out after. Let's fucking get them together. I said, because let me tell you, at the end of the day, Ned, they're going to kill you anyway. Yeah. Right? Because they'll get, he'll get fucking jealous of you then. Right? And I said, so he needs to be exterminated, this fucking grub. He said, all right. And I said, so little did I know they'd already planned this fucking beautiful fucking tactic. So I get down with Ned and we're supposed to go down and he said, now, they've just tried to kill George Freeman, who was one of the old gang. And he said, so they're on the run. So they're hiding out somewhere. He said, I don't know exactly where yet, but one of them's going to turn up this Saturday afternoon uh, at King Arthur's Court in King's Cross and we'll go up and give them a gun, you know, and some money so they can hide out for a while, you know. And he said, then I'll wait till the next meeting that we have and he said, and then I'll get the guest to where they are and so we can fucking, you know, then we'll fix it, sort it all out and fucking get rid of them. So, all right, good. So that was all that was on me fucking mind, the square up, right? But I got down there and I fucking fell into the biggest trap. I was dirty. I'm fucking so dirty on myself. I've fallen into it. I didn't have any... I probably did have warnings, but I didn't take fucking notice. I was just focused on fucking squaring up, you know? And so what was the goal of all that? So if say you did knock that other gang off, yeah. like so you thought Well he would have got blamed for Drury straight away then. Yeah. They would right have found then. some evidence to fucking plant him, right? So you were trying to clear your name from this cop thing. Oh yeah, Rob. But well, not trying to clear it. I thought I was fucking way wide of it. I didn't think yeah. I was gonna be the scapegoat. You know, but then I then I started to think, Well, why come I'm getting questioned about it and all this fucking sort of shit. Because there was a rumour that travelled around once before that I'd shot this copper down at um, you know, because I bashed a lot of coppers over the years as a young bloke and everything, I had the reputation yeah, that, that yeah. I, co- I could have fitted that fucking, that bill real easy, you know, yeah, that, that I was the one. There. Yeah, the motive, you know yeah. what I mean? So, modus operandi, yeah. operandi. So, um, anyway, no, so next fucking minute I went down to um, uh, Sydney with him and uh, met one of the blokes in the fucking gang. I could have just got up and punched his face in that bloke that day because I knew he was part of the fucking plot against me before. But I thought, I'll sort it all out when the time comes. I'll get the fucking lot of them, you know. So anyway, we get down to fucking um, a little pub we had to meet at at Oldemo and uh, Ned comes out and he says, I've got the gun here. Next minute there's a phone call. And he walks in, he pretends there's a phone call or someone comes to the door and said, Ned, you want on the phone. So he loses the phone. I'm sitting out in the fucking car with the gun, right, in a brown paper bag. I'm sitting there and I'm going, who the fuck is this gun? Next minute he come outside and I said, what are you doing? He said, listen, he said, the emergency's come up. Roger wants to come over and see me about something. He said, can you drop that up across? 
I went, oh, fuck, all right. So, it's, you know, it's only fucking 10 minutes away from where I am. So, so it's full So off up. I go. And as I'm driving, next minute this panel van come out behind me, you know, somewhere out, just out of fucking Oldermo somewhere. And I started to watch it and I could see the curtain was moving in the back and I thought, are they police or fucking what? You know, so I didn't give a fuck. I had a gun on me anyway. And plus this gun. I mean, I had this bum bag I got on here. I used to carry my gun in that all the time, you know. And... Um, so I just fucking just thought, right, I'll go up and give him the gun and fucking go back, mm. right? And just wait for, the time, wait for the right time. So I'll get up to this pub, the King Arthur's Court, the car follows me all the way. And at one stage they had to come up real close to me and get close to me. And I looked over and I thought, fuck, I know that bloke's face. And I, I kept rattling through my brain. I thought that looks like Laurie Prendergast from Melbourne, you know, so who was Chris Flannery's best fucking mate who killed blokes with him. Mm. You know, they, they'd murdered a lot of blokes in Melbourne before, you know. And I said, uh, they killed one bloke in his bathtub in front of him with a fucking machine gun in front of his kids, uh, one of the Kane brothers. So yeah, he was acquitted of the charges, but, you know, everyone knew the reputation. So I seen him, I thought, I'm fucking sure that's him. But I'd only met him once, you know. So next minute I go up, get into the pub, King Arthur's, no one's there. And I thought, I'll wait five minutes, that's all I'll wait. If no one's here on time, I'm going. And I started to think to myself, this is fucking strange. And anyway, I looked across this big window, this big window of the pub. I'm looking across the road on the other side of William Street where it runs down the hill where the tunnel goes underneath the heads towards uh, Double Bay and all that. And I thought, that's that fucking car over there. Next minute, a detective car pulled up beside it and the detective got out of the car and started rousing on him, like, you know, looked like he was arguing with him about something. And I thought, fuck, are they cops or... And I thought, well, it's no good me just pissing off. Yeah. This might be a fucking trap, but, you know, as I always do, I like to go into the lion's den. I don't know why. So it's, it's, I just thought to myself, if I go up the top of the cross, turn left and go, then whatever was going to occur is not going to occur, and I'm going to be none the wiser. Yeah. So I thought, fuck it, I'm going to go into it, going to go up there, turn around, come down that ramp where they are, and head back down William Street and go the same way back home to Oldham to the Lord Wolseley Hotel. So... As I'm coming down, cop car goes out in front of me, out comes the panel van behind me. So I'm thinking, are they cops or are they fucking, what are they, you know? I'm still fucking rattling my brain. So I get down and I fucking get around near the museum station where Market Street starts, where David Jones is, and I turn right there. Now, it's Saturday afternoon. There's not a fucking, none of the shops are open in the city in that time of day. It's fucking dead, you know? So here, sitting on the other side of the lights, is the copper with his wheels turned right out on full lock, uh. right, ready to block me. So on the other side of the road, and I went fucking bang. I shot me, I had a Jaguar that had a, a V8 motor in it, uh, like a Chev motor, 350 Chev, all souped up. So I flew it across the other side of the road, and there was a bloke fucking on one of them PMG things, you know, yeah. sitting there with a cage around him. Well, I'd fucking run the cage straight over a fucking reverse back, went back past him, into Elizabeth Street, well, fucking next minute, I'm in a one-way street and buses are coming fucking past me. So they're out of the car, they've come out of the back of the panel van with balaclavas on. Though oh. I knew they weren't cops, but I thought, well, the cops are with them, though. So I went, what the fuck's happening here? So I fucking just reversed all the way up the one-way fucking street, got down, I ended up down the Lord Nelson, went to the public in there who I knew Street, gave him the gun, and I said, go and hide them downstairs, will you? There's two guns there. Go and hide that one, keep that one separate and that one there. And I'm thinking to myself, what the fuck? 
you know, fucking Ned set me up here. I've been set up. I've definitely been set up. They were trying to knock me. I thought, but was it a hit squad from the cops or... So I, I sat down and I went I went down to the fucking... I thought, what will I do? I thought, no, I'll fucking I'll go back in front, Ned, and I'll, I'll keep fucking together until I know the fucking facts, right? So I thought, how the fuck am I going to do that? So I get down there and I thought, I was that fucking dirty inside. I just wanted to fucking shoot him on the spot, you know? But I thought, well, I can't use that fucking gun. There's something about this gun. I kept thinking to myself, you know? Kept coming to me, you know? The one that he gave you? Yeah, the one that he gave me. And I thought, there's something fucking smelly. So I got there and when he seen me, he nearly shit himself because he thought, fuck, he wasn't supposed to come back. Yeah. Right? And I said, here's the fucking gun. Take it. Take it back. I said, take it out of the bag. Took it out of the bag and I got the fucking thing and I burnt the fucking bag. Mm. Get all the prints off it, right? I just fucking burnt it, threw it in the fucking gutter and I said, something fucking real smelly just happened then and I think you're fucking behind it, right? And I said, I'm going. When I find out, he goes, what are you talking about? I said, I nearly got fucking kidnapped. Something's going to go down. You're involved, right? So I fucking left. I went down the road and I parked my car and hid and I come back into Bullwarra Road where it was, the hotel, I sat in these little tenement houses just sitting there watching up the road. Next fucking minute, up pulls the fucking cops. Panel man. Oh, the cop. And, and, and next minute, Chris Flannery walks down with this other bloke and I said, that fucking Prentagast. So I knew it was Laurie Prentagast and him. So they were the two that shot the fucking copper. It was actually Laurie Johnson, Laurie Prentagast who shot Michael Drury. And they keep on saying it's Chris Flannery. It wasn't. I know how it worked. Prentagast shot him. Flannery and Rogerson were somewhere else. So they could back up their their story. They were in the bowling club having a drink, right? And Flannery's wife was with them earlier, right? That was to cover their ass over the shooting. So when nothing had come back on them, right? But that was on the night when they actually shot him. Yeah. But now I'd got through the break. Well, they would have been fucking running all over the place, going, "Fuck! What are we going to do now? Now we fucking knows, right? We've missed him a fucking again, fucking you know." kept on getting through the break well the next thing you know fucking he's missing you know Flannery goes missing Prentagast went missing you know that he disappeared on the 9th of May so naturally I was a suspect of course and I'd been called down to all the inquiries into his death and uh, just said well I've got no fucking idea whoever got him would take me out of time yeah you're kind of glad they fucking got him you know what I mean so you know so they think I did it well fucking I don't give a fuck, come and charge me, you know. But at the end of the day, he disappeared and uh, and he's 100% dead, and, uh, as it was his mate, Laurie Prendergast, who I've seen, like in my visions, um, that I have these psychic fucking things. Yeah. I've, I've had him appear. Right? That was a fucking bit of a funny story. But uh, he just appeared and before me, like a visualisation of him, of and he had sand all through his eyes, his mouth and his... Here and he said to me, Net, "You trusted Ned too much." Really? Well, he just appeared in a. When what? When this, was this? this? This only happened probably six or seven months ago. Really? I was writing my book. I was writing my second book. It's called From the Inside. I haven't yeah. finished it yet, and I wanted to know something. So what I do? I go to bed and I ask. I ask like to ask the spirit world. I need to know the answer to this. Yeah. So whatever I was asking to happen, right? Need to know what happened on that day when Flannery disappeared and Laurie disappeared and where the fuck they are, right? So... So you, do you, you, think, you think they're dead? Oh, I know they're dead. Yeah. You know, I knew 100% they were dead. 
but I just wanted to know where they were. So at the end of the day, I could say, well, everyone's dead now. We're all doing life locked up. Yeah, so you're I, checking I can, off your fucking yeah, list of I, people. Yeah, yeah, I'm checking them off, you know. So, uh, you ever watch Game of Thrones? No. Fucking watch Game of Thrones. Yeah, same thing, is it? Well, there's a chick, Aya Stark, the, the main family, and... Um, like fuck I won't spoil it for you because you should watch it yeah. but anyway she's a little 12 year old girl but she creates a list and you look at this list from this little 12 year old girl and she fucking reads it out every night yeah. and she just slowly dismisses them yeah, off just there. fucking yeah, that's clicking right. them off the that's list right. so just made me think of it watch, well, like, watch Game of Thrones you fucking love it yeah well I actually remember at the end like about, well, you know when I decided to fucking pull me fucking head in right out of it about 2010 and then I I wrote down a list. I said, if I'm going to have to stay in this fucking life and fucking keep playing this fucking way, then I've got to do kill this bloke, this bloke, this bloke. And I started writing them off, writing this fucking list down. And I went, fuck, it's just too big. <laughs> you know, I just can't do it. And if I just cut one head off, it's not good enough. I need to fucking chop a few heads off the snakes, you know. So I thought, fuck it, I'm just going to walk away. So I just walked out of the fucking life. That was 2010. That was the last attempt I had in my life in 2010. Uh, that was at West Pennant Hills when about 10 of them turned up to kill me. And I mean 10, because they got the shit so everyone kept missing me. So they said, fuck him, we're going to make sure he goes tonight. There's a fucking big group of 10. So they sent this European gang to fucking try and kill me. And um, What kind of European, like Russians? Uh, they were uh, like uh, Maltese, I believe. Yeah, right. All right. So, isn't is there a bikey <coughs> gang that's around Maltese? No, oh, well, there could be. Yeah, but yeah, like, not, not, not important. That I, yeah, but, um, anyway, um, th- they uh, started sniffing around, and I started getting their number plates and finding out where they lived. They kept on following me, and uh, I I started to get these number plates. So I I still had an inroad into people in the RTA and fucking and the NRMA, and I, I could find out addresses. So I got those addresses and led to a big factory somewhere. Now, I won't give it away where it was. I'd be giving up the blokes as much as I should, but I, yeah. well, I wouldn't. Um, anyway, so next fucking minute I went, um, I sent them a fax straight through and I said, listen, if I see you around my place again, these are your car numbers, all your rego numbers, right? It's already gone over my telephone line, right, this fax. I said, keep the fuck away from me. You've been hired by a police informant, Right? Check him out before you fucking take me out of play, mate. Right? Or I'll fucking take you out. So I said, now that's the last warning I'll give you. So next minute, because I did it off the fax line, the phone rang. And I picked it up and it's fucking him. It's one of the main blokes. And I said, listen, mate, pull your fucking head in what you're doing. He said, oh, that's not fucking me. I said, listen, you just bought a new car two days ago, mate. Yeah, I know, it's you. And here's the number plate. And I read it out to him over the fucking phone, right? I said, I'm fucking telling you, that's the only warning you'll fucking get, mate. The next fucking minute, I go up there one one night and they fucking pull up, two of them. This was the first attempt out of this crew. And they came up the road. Now, this informer now that has hired, who used to run with Ned, is now working in alliance with the Australian Crime Commission as a police informant, right? And he's got a cop called Mark Standen, who's actually in prison serving 16 years for importing pseudoethadrine. He was doing homework for this criminal, finding out where I worked, 
where I lived, where I fucking where I was going, they were doing all the surveillance to pass it on to him, so he didn't have to be in the way, right? So I'd spring him. So he thought if I thought it was just the police, well, bad luck. You know what I mean? But it was actually him using the, the his using connection, the cops, yeah. using the cops to do the fucking thing. So they knew that you know the Australian Crime Commission knew that there was a fucking setup on me, you know, and so. I, they came past me place one morning and I went out for a fucking walk as I always do every morning I'm checking out the area next minute I seen this copper shield run past me that I'd seen early in the morning with this other detective and she was in a trotting gear now like a jogging gear uh. and she run past me and waved at me and I thought well here you going love and I thought she's the fucking copper anyway she come back past me and she said be aware will you please be aware I said, what are you talking about, love? She said, I can't tell you anymore, just be on guard. And just kept going, right? And I went, fuck me, right? So I said, this fucking skunk. I knew it was him. He's working with the coppers. They're the ones doing the surveillance for him, Yeah. right? So next fucking minute, up pulls his car. And I was t- standing at the front of my house talking to a bloke, and fucking, but it was pitch black. There was no street light at the front of my house. And I went, fuck. Who were these blokes? And actually, I seen him get out with a balaclava. So I said to me, mate, go inside and get me gun, will you? So he bolts inside, gets a gun, comes outside. And then I see the bloke start to walk up the street. So next minute, my dog goes to run out and fucking... So I pulled it back in by its back legs. Well, they already saw it. So next minute, they knew I was sitting there waiting for them, so they oh, took off. So they've seen the dog run yeah. out and you've stopped it. So I unloaded about five shots at the car, you know, and then they fucking they got out of the area. Right, don't even know if I hit the car or fuck. I'm fucking sure I did. So next fucking minute, they said, "Well, fucking, we're going in a big crew." So they brought a big crew, and um, you know, I know who they are, but um, you know, they were only operating under their own fucking. You know, it's just business. I understand the business of the underworld. You know, the organised crime. So you know, I'm quite happy with it. I don't give a fuck where it sits with me. But you know, the the main scumbag was the fucking little informants. You know, him and fucking Ned. They were my main problems, and uh, but but by this time Ned was already fucking banging gone. You know he was fucking doing life, so the little clone thought he'd take over. So and he wanted me out of the way desperately because he knew that he'd fucking miss me while I was on work's release. He'd fucking miss me every other time. So it was just out of ego because you're out yeah, of really. business by oh, this point, right? Oh no, I'm not out of business. I'm back in business. I'm, oh, okay. But I'm playing with a different crew. Yeah, you know. I'm playing with real fucking staunch, solid blokes, you know. I run with a bloke called Stan the Man Smith, who was probably, he probably killed 15. Uh, you know, I ran with him and, uh, and some other people. And uh, he died about 2010. Uh, <coughs> and it uh, took him 12 months to come back with the, and they couldn't still find out how he died. So he just, uh, he used to take chemicals and fucking. He'd experiment with stuff with getting rid of cholesterol and he was taking raw chlorine and fucking... Oh, really? Oh, he did everything. He was like a son, mad professor he was. Yeah, right. You know, very smart and intelligent man, the dangerous motherfucker. But uh, one of my best mates. And, uh, you know, I even said to him, I said, 10 come to the house. He couldn't believe it. Fucking 10? What's wrong with these fools? Like, don't they know how to Surely just... Surely 10 people One bloke can go and just fucking finish you off. Yeah. I'd not bring a fucking team of them. 
you know, I was just grateful they didn't spray up the house, you know, and fucking do all that fucking cowardly shit, you know. Yeah. But uh, anyway, I just said in the end when I wrote down the list, I said, oh, fuck that. There's too many of them. About time I pulled the fucking plug. So you did know? you did you ever have, like, when you were deep in it at yeah. your deepest point, was there ever, like, an end game to it where you were like, I want to make this much or do this much, or does it no. just become a lifestyle? No, it just becomes you- a lifestyle, mate. You know, you don't have an end, you know. I mean, one of them chances there, I, I said I might pull out and then I'll go into this business and I'll do, do this. I always had a good head for business and stuff that I got involved in. I've been a commodity broker and worked on oil and gold and fucking jet fuel and and all sorts of stuff like that. But, you know, nothing was the adrenaline that was. Yeah, you know, yeah. You know, that life was the adrenaline and I lived off it. And now I don't have it today. I'll so do you, do, you think, I do you think that, like... So let's say that you just create a baseline. Yep. So for me, my baseline of if I see some heavy shit go down, in my what would be my fucking world is heavy shit is like a couple dudes punching on and blah 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 and rattles me and that that's that fucking adrenaline thing, yeah. right? But if you see that same thing, it's not even going to register. No. Your baseline is so much further down the track. Oh yeah, fucking earth. So do you think that there's like this thing that compels you because you just can't even get a normal kick you can't get a kick in the other in the way that normal people can yeah and you've kind of you kind of have to go to those extreme levels just to find what a normal person yeah, could right get to, from anything i think what they call like a, i went to a bloke who used to do this thing called not which is like diffusing you from uh you know uh what they call today post-traumatic stress disorder yeah and I started to have a few spin-outs, spin-outs one day. And I went, fucking, that's not me, you know. So was, what was this NET? I was getting, NET is the thing that they invented for um, uh, uh, taking people who had been in the Vietnam War and de-stressing them. Yeah, right. So was it, it a chemical that they were No, it works off your mind, your consciousness. And what they do, it raises your arm. Then he asks you certain questions about certain things in events in your life. When was the first time you experienced violence? One, two, three, four, five. How old were you? Seven, eight, nine, ten. Your arm drops. You know, he just walks away and says, what happened to you at ten? Yeah, right. And you go, oh, fuck, that happened, right? So it works off your subconscious, right? So it's an incredible fucking thing, right? So I went there and he said, mate, you're just having a fucking... Yeah, that's what it is. He said, you've been so hardwired all your life. Yeah. And now you're fucking... You're wanting to pull away... And it's fucking affecting you, you know, because I'm trying to fucking lead normal fucking life, doing fucking uh, brokering stuff and, yeah. you know, I was involved in stock market shit and and I'm trying to do all that in between still dodging humans, you know, and staying afloat and doing my homework on them, trying to trap them, you know, which I did. I chased them and tried to fucking knock them. Don't worry about that, you know. So, uh, you know, in between all that, I'm trying to be normal and doing deals with fucking all sorts of people in life, right? And I started to have these getting in a depressed state. Yeah, right. I was getting depressed because, and when I went to this bloke, he said, mate, fuck, because he put you on a computer and it went up on this big Richter scale fucking thing. He said, fuck. He said, it's like you've already been in the war, mate. And you, even mm. though he said, you haven't been to Vietnam. I said, no, I actually volunteered for Vietnam. They knocked me back because of my violence record. Really? Can you believe that? So that's another story. But um, anyway, he um, he said, mate, you've been in a 
So I had to tell him a little bit about myself. I said, this is what I've done all my life. And, and he said, well, this is what it is, mate. You've been so hardwired all your life to fucking what you've seen, what you fucking do. Now you're not doing it. Your fucking body and your fucking mind's going into a fucking different fucking yeah. phase. And it's coming back and affecting the end of depression more. So I went to see him for about three months, I reckon. Three months, I was as good as gold and never had a fucking net. Another bad day after it. Yeah, right. You know, no, he's very good. So what what kind of headspace did you get in then to get over that, like, I guess come to terms with, like, a normal life? Yeah. I don't know. I can't, I can't, it's a very hard question to answer, mate. I, I just tried to just keep out of it, then every now and then go down and see, mate, I've got... I've still got to do it today. I've got to go down and see blokes that I run with and, mm. you know, keep in touch with the old school because the blokes that I drink with today are all square-edge, you know. They're blokes that don't have... Yeah. They're not gangsters and things like that. So the conversations have changed so much from my yeah. original fucking, you know, and it's very hard. And and then people know about you and they fucking question Treat you. Treat you different Yeah, and, and they yeah. question you on different things and yeah. fucking drives you mad sometimes. But most of the time I just fucking know, you know. I let them know the truth and the facts, you know. Yeah, I mean, of things that I can and there's yeah, things yeah. I can't, of course. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, that life delved down to the lowest of the lows that you could ever go to, you know. And uh, But I can gratefully say, and I think that's why I get helped, you know, in r- reality. I think that I think I've had so many warnings in my life because I believe in this higher power, I believe in these w- warnings that I get is not coming from fucking nowhere. Mm. You know, it's what I believe and it's what I have fucking faith in. So um, I believe that I've I've done the right thing. I don't I don't look back with anything with one regret. Mm. The only thing I regretted was that I stabbed this police prosecutor, yeah, Malcolm Spence. You know, because I've got eight years fucking prison over it, and uh, and I'm lucky that they knew he was corrupt. Yeah, and right. uh, and. Uh, because otherwise I would have got a life sentence for it, you know, for attempting to kill a police officer. So, um, how hard were those eight years to do? Uh, well, the two and a half years I spent in the solitary confinement was the hardest of it. Oh, you yeah, know, that blows my mind. That uh, you can the be the in rest there. of it was a breeze, you know. Um, you know, but uh, you know, I I I just get through it, you know. And there was plenty of people running around at the time saying things like, "Oh, he was involved in that. Oh, okay, he must be a." fucking informant or something you know mm. what I mean well in which case I wasn't I mean there's a book out that's called Smack Express that was written by Clive Small who was the assistant commissioner of police many years ago and now a, uh, an author crime author and uh, I speak to him sometimes about things but uh, he's um, what was I going to say about him uh, People were thinking you're an informant. Yeah, you know, so because of this ICAC investigation, but the but the, the facts were that I never did. You know, I've never ever helped the police in any way. You know, if a policeman got up in the court and fabricated me in an armed robbery, of which they've done, to try and set me up for the robbery, right? Which I may have done, but I've got up and fucking verbaled them back. That, you know, if the, if they they can't call that informant that's fucking doing the best you can against the fucking authorities yeah you know yeah. what I mean and that's all I've ever done I would never allow myself to fucking give anyone up it's not my go you know so where when you were in that stage of like you know people trying to fucking whack you and yeah. going through all that shit 
Was it hard just generally to sleep at night, or nah, was it just slept like a baby? Was it just a, the ecosystem? The, like, was yeah. that your comfort zone in yeah, a way? Yeah, yeah. Rob was. T- I slept like a baby, mate. In those days, you know what I mean. I, you know, unless unless I knew someone was sniffing around the house, or yeah, like there's you know a what I mean. To be if, up. if I had a reason for that, then I'd sit up deliberately and wait. You know, um, and there was many times I'd sneak out at uh, you know one or two o'clock in the morning and go and do my own surveillance. Mm. You know, and then I'd know where they were what they were doing and I thought if they have another go and they're going like one bloke I traced down to a to a gymnasium that was this bloke I called the clone referred to as the clone yeah yeah and I uh, I trapped him in a gymnasium one morning at six o'clock in the morning training sparring with this other bloke who was with him that let go out at me when I was on works release who tried to murder me so I said I sprung him at this boxing gymnasium over at um near Moore Park in Sydney so I went there and uh, I knew the owner of the place and I got a little key made got another key made slipped into the door made sure it fucking slipped in and fucking opened I said next time he's training and he's in there and he's got the boxing gloves on they're sparring around the ring well I'm going to walk in and fucking kill the pair of them mm. you know so I got there and one day I'm doing the surveillance I've got a gun on me I'm doing the surveillance but he something about it I, I must have. I seen him coming in the driveway, and I put my head down. And I think he must have seen me head move. He was pretty alert, the bloke, you know. I can't say that he was a dumb fuck, cause he wasn't. But he um, he came up and he came around this side of the car. So I'm laying down this way, you know. And I've got the gun in me, and I thought, if you come to the car, you can. I'm going to fucking pot your ear, and I don't have any choice. And he's not going to get out unarmed. Now, he had a brand new big Mercedes Benz anyway. He went around behind me then pulled up on this side and I went, ah, oh, fuck it, I'll get him now. So I just fucking opened up the fucking door and fucking whack, whack at the fucking car. Well, he hit this speed bump in the Mercedes and so it either hit the boot of the car or fucking went down and hit his, you know, or it fucking went under the car, the fucking shots, right, because he fucking hit it with so much force that uh. the fucking car leaped, right? So fucking where I was aiming at the back of his fucking head, you know, down the back of the fucking thing, uh, never even fucking looked like getting him. And he screamed out of this place, out into the fucking traffic and, and gone, you know. So next fucking minute, Roger Rogerson turns up on me doorstep, but fucking not on me doorstep. I was at Balmain one day with um, Stan Smith, who they call Stan the Man, and uh, he pulled up and he said, Abbo, how you going? He said, listen, I want to, uh, I'm bringing a uh, peace offering from the, from the, from the gang. Uh. And I said, peace offering? He said, yeah, he said, you know, well, we're even now. Like he said, you know, you had a crack at him the other day and he's had a crack at you. When we're even. I said, no, tell him to get fucked. We're not fucking even, mate. You know, I could have said yes, of course, and then he would have still been trying yeah, to do not, it anyway. Yeah. It was never going to be over until it was fucking over. Now, in the end, I think in the end he was that embarrassed. I embarrassed him that much by all the attempts that they put on me life at least six times, you know, just them ones. Prior to that, I'd had 14 attempts, you know, up till 2006, you know. And then these last few attempts on my life made up about the 20 attempts on my life that they've tried. Yeah. You know, tried to trap me everywhere I walked. And then just when they thought they'd have me, I'd turn off and go another way. Mm. You know what I mean? I kept on stuffing up every move they made. And uh, one day I was walking down the back of West Pennant Hills and there was a bloke leaning against a big LTD car and I knew these blokes were involved in a lot of businesses. He's leaving against this big stretched out limo. He said uh, he was just leaning against the boot and what he meant to say was, 
oh, I'm just wasting my time, mate. You know what it's like? Leaning on the car, having a break. You know what I mean? That's what he tried to get across. But he said, oh, just doing me time, mate. You know what it's like? Yeah, so you knew he was a criminal. And I went, I just stopped and I looked at him and I said, funny choice of words for a hire car driver, mate. Yeah. Right, just doing time, are you? I said, mate, I'm a fucking wake up to you as want to pull your fucking heads in. No right? shit. Right? Even so, to me, I'm just going, you don't And I was only that. 100 yards away from where I was going to walk. Yeah, yeah. And that was across this little creek bread, but I'd sprung them there. Mm. I'd sprung the car on the opposite side. And there was only one way out of the area I worked in, mm. you know, we lived in. There was only one area. You come in a certain road, you can only go out a certain road. Yeah. Right? So I knew that they were fucked. So they parked the car on the other side and they were waiting in that creek bed for me. Fuck. You know? So I went the street before it went to the left and went the other way. <laughs> right? So every time they fucking tried to get me, I got them. Or right, next minute I'd turn up and I'd just start taking photographs of them. Yeah. Right? In the cars and they'd fucking take off. You know what I mean? So I knew all their cars and knew all their movements. And in the end, I just got a message out to them and I just said, listen, the bloke is a working for works for the fucking crime commission. He's a fucking dog. Yeah. You know? So I said, you know, if you keep coming, well, it'll fucking keep happening. Yeah. You know? And in the end, I was go- I was fucking, you know, look that close that many times to just letting fucking go, you know? And I had the opportunity with the blokes that I ran with like Stan the man Smith who killed 15 blokes before me you know what I mean before me I mean before he in his era him. you yeah. know in his era coming up through the and he was a very feared man the Sydney organised crime scene and uh, you know he gave me advice he said this and that but he but I said I said to him one day I said I've never asked you for help I'm not asking none of you for help this is my war Mm. Right, started because of me that before I run with you, so it's got nothing to do with business. So I just handle it. But when I went down there and I told him ten blokes turned up, he was fucking just so fucking flabbergasted. He he nearly thought that I was fucking dreaming in Alice in Wonderland or something that I was yeah. making those things up. And I said, so I said, I said next time I'm with me daughter, me daughter will tell you what happened, mate. Yeah, she right, was in the room with me. There. She was there, right? So next time I got a chance, I said, tell him what happened that night. So she we told him, and he went, "Fuck." We didn't fully get done. We got to where you were, where you grabbed the dog. Oh, was that so? You shot the car up, and then they pissed off. Yeah, yeah, they so pissed that was off with the small crew, and then that, the, then the, the ten. Then, yeah, but they went back. They were of a bigger crew. Yeah, and then, and then, the then they turned up. The ten up. of them turned up. They turned. They had Ugg boots on and everything, so they could sneak around on the grass and not make noises. And you know, I mean, they, they they'd done this before. There yeah. was no, you know, but from what I've heard, some of them had fought overseas in wars and you know what I mean? So, you know, they were pretty professional blokes. It was just it wasn't that they were dumb. I was just very good and aware at staying alive. So you you, know? you spoke about this a tiny bit before the podcast, but so tell yeah. tell her how you ended up actually foiling their plan. Is well, you made it seem well, like Well well that the night especially, one. yeah, that night when they came in the big group. I was actually standing out the front of the house when one of them decided to sneak out. I seen this bloke, big, well-built bloke, just, you know, looked like he'd just got out of prison or something and all buffed up, you know. He bolted across the road to slip into the bush that was beside my place because what they were going to do, they knew my car was bulletproof, mm. right, because all of the windows in my car were bulletproof of the fucking toe. They are going to wait till I pulled up and then as I got out of the car, they are going to fucking come out of the bushes and fucking kill me before I got the front door. Right, so so that was their fucking plan of attack. It was the only plan they had, you know. 
because um, it was the only way they could have fucking done it. So next fucking minute, this bloke runs across the road and comes out of a house, thinks that I'm not there because there's no street light out the front of my house. It's pitch black. Well, next minute he springs me, turns around on a sixpence and bolted down the fucking street, right? And I'm yelling out to him, come back, you fucking dog, you fucking filthy thing, you know? So next fucking minute there, he's got down around the corner. He said, well, this fucking man, he's fucking home. He's not fucking out in the car. So I had to ring up my wife and say, listen, don't come home until I tell you. Right, because she was driving my car. I didn't want her opening the car. The door next minute, fucking, she's dead. Because then I would have fucking killed twenty. Yeah, you know, I would have fucking wiped out the whole fucking lot of them. So, next fucking minute, uh, she went into panic mode. I said, "It's all right, Lauren's here. She's safe. Everything's all right. Just fucking do what I'm telling you. All right." Anyway, next fucking minute, I'm up. Well, you know how noise travels of a night. Yeah, you know, you can say something in the street the dead of night, and you can fucking hear it for fucking two hundred yards. So what I did, I had all my bed, my bed covered in fucking guns. I had all my fucking guns. I had armor lights. I had fucking machine gun. I had a fucking two hand guns, like you know, uh, nine mil guns. And uh, next fucking minute, they fucking next minute I'm looking at all these blokes. I said, the fucking all these blokes got Ugg boots on. They're fucking these are pros here, boy. You know, <laughs> they're sneaking around all over the joint trying to put themselves into the neighbours' houses and getting us around and right. So what I did, I got up and I opened up the window, the bay windows. I was upstairs in the double house, double story house. And I went, Psst, Jeff, get down, put your head down. Peter, get your head down. Wait till they come in the front yard. Don't fucking shoot until I give you the order. Well, next fucking minute, you could see the fucking pricks. They'd heard it like as fucking loud as and I wanted them to. And they went fucking whoosh. Well, you could hear their cars up the road taking off from where they had their cars parked, you know. Fucking, they were humming. And I knew they were the fucking cars that I'd seen. They were all holding Monaros, right? And they're the brand new ones. So if they went fucking screamed off up the fucking road, gone. Right? Last time I ever fucking saw them. That's amazing. You know, so, you know, it worked like a fucking charm. Um, what was it like you're married and got kids yeah how the fuck did you get a woman to, to come into the, mate to this I tell you what she's day? a strong strong lady mate fuck I how mean, did that all go down mate I, I mate, I, I met her when I was a young bloke run, running around I was uh, I just got out of prison at this 1971 and uh, I had a uh, a child to another woman at the time who was uh, a diabetic and um, she was trying to uh, you know, still make contact with me and all that, but I was a bit dirty on it because she'd been playing up with other blokes while I was away. So, mm. you know, my loyalty's fucking so strong, you know what I mean? So I just went, no, fuck it, that's it. So I said, I brassed her. But I said, as long as I can still come and see me child. And I, I ran into this lady, Leslie, who I ended up marrying. I've been married for 44 years. And... Uh, in that time, mate, there's, you know, she's lived through it all, seen the fucking... She's seen some shit. You know, so, well, not seen so much, but she knew. Yeah. She knew and she knew certain things had happened. She'd see an armoured van be robbed on TV or something like that and she'd be waiting to see that, you know, I was safe, that I wasn't shot fucking dead. I mean... Yeah. You no, know, I mean, she wasn't silly. She Not that I got home and told her what I did because I fucking didn't, you know, and the less she knew, the fucking better. Yeah, The safer right. she always was. So, and I made it a point never to talk in my house, never to talk in my car, never to talk near a telephone, you know, all of those things, you know. If I was doing crime, there was no way in the world a telephone was on me, and if anyone had one, they might as well have a microphone on them. Yeah. And, and that's how I treated it. 
And if they ever had one on them, well, they get a terrible fucking hiding off me. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, you know, I wasn't backward and coming forward in fucking dishing out violence if I had to, you know, but I did it for the fucking, for the strictest of reasons and for fucking, and, and as the last resort. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, um, and so, and that's just how I fucking lived, mate. And, you know, but I'd come home and spend, I'd go to Sydney for four days. I lived up the coast. And I came up there to visit Nettie Smith one day. He lived up the coast. And uh, so I drove up there one day to see him. I thought, fuck, this is nice up here. So oh, what a good place to get away from, you know, from Sydney doing what I do and raising yeah. the kids here instead of down in Sydney where everyone knows me and talks about me, right? So I came up here in 84 and um, I moved into the area and... Uh, we stayed there until 97 until I had to go back to Sydney when I got out of prison in 97 after the stabbing of the police prosecutor I uh, I had to go back because they'd already tried to kill me and I said I've got to go back and it's no good me living up here and fucking I need to be down there so it's either you just come with me or I'm going to have to go on my own for fucking months and get this fucking sorted you know yeah. so we all ended up all in Sydney again until uh, about 2006 and then I said that's it fucking moving out we'll fucking uh, we'll move up the coast was she shocked when you stabbed the copper oh, or yeah. did she know like oh she knew that I'd you know, I was pretty you know but she knew what I was like and cranky and I was out of school that night I was fucking full of fucking piss and wine and was right near Christmas because it was like an impulse thing from what I take is yeah. that he, basically he was talking shit and yeah he'd run around and, and claim that I'd I'd informed on him to the to the uh, internal affairs branch. Well, as I said, my reputation, everything meant everything to me in the underworld. You know, no one ran around fucking calling me a fucking police dog because I'd fucking just chop him up. And uh, you know, because number one, it was never true. So, so when he made this accusation, I said, "Are you fucking kidding?" He said, "Oh, well, Ned told me you do." I said, "You'd believe that big fucking idiot." I said, if you're fucking kidding anyway, I said, you better, I said, I'm going to give you the day because you're on the fucking piss to fucking think about it. So I gave him a few days and then I heard him saying, oh yeah, I had a go at him and he shit himself and all these sort of stupid things brooded on my mind and I went, fuck him, I'm going to get him. And two coppers I was drinking with that day that I had on me payroll, they said, Dabo, fucking leave him alone, mate. I fucking, I said, no, I'm going to flog him. Right. Well, I went there. I wanted to flog him because he always a big mouth and thought he could fucking fight. So when I went, I dragged him out of the fucking pub at the Lord Wolseley Hotel. He said, I don't want to fucking talk business tonight. I said, there's no fucking business. We're going around the fucking corner. There's not business tonight. There's no money exchanging hands here, buddy. Just fists. Get around here, you fucking dog. So the fool followed me out, you know. We rode around into the back lane and I just went bang, left hooked him, dropped him like a fucking tack. And then he got up and then he started to fucking do a plead with me. Oh, Abba, I'm sorry, I fucking didn't mean it. I said, you've insulted my fucking intelligence, that fucking dog. I said, and you run around telling people I'll fucking give you up. So next minute I just produced a knife, just pulled it straight out of my pocket and fucking just jammed him in the guts. And then he went down and as he got down the ground, I fucking plunged it into his neck. You know, well, I, luckily for him, I just fucking just missed the juggler otherwise he would have been fucking loaf of bread you know meaning dead yeah um so as it turned out uh, he went down to the hospital he didn't even know he'd been stabbed because he had a polo neck jumper on that was up here like this yeah. and 
but he just felt weak. He got in the hospital, he said, I just feel weak. And they lifted him up and they said, because you've been fucking stabbed. Well, when he realised he'd been stabbed and had his throat cut, he fucking collapsed and fainted. Uh. I I ran into him not long ago, actually. I walked into a pub in Piermont. No shit. There, and uh, next minute he took off out the fucking door. I yelled out, get over it. <laughs> Are you fucking I said, serious? get over it. Yeah, right. So I said, I've got over it. Get over it. Well, you're, yeah, you're the one that yeah, fucking did it. Yeah, you You know what I mean? Yeah, if you would have shut your mouth in the first place, never would have happened. Mm. You know? And I would have still been there and doing my thing and and would have had a big crew together. You know, still, probably. Do you th- yeah, do you think that it ever was going to come unstuck for you or do you think you could have been oh. smart enough? Because like... Oh, no, I was... The no, times, enough, it, I think. The times it changed, though, like especially now, and you know. Yeah, but you, I grew up with all that stuff too. So yeah. I grew up with it when, with every change I was growing up with, and and where there's a will, there's a way. You know, I mean, it's like going to the other, you know, when you can even rob vans today, or you know, you just got to do it in the right area. But you got to be careful when you do your homework, your surveillance, you know, yeah. because that's the time you can bring yourself unstuck. It's like them blokes in London who dug under the vault the old the old gang the youngest one was about 68 you know and they got in and but prior to them stealing the the vault and getting all the money that they got which they got got away with until they they went back on the surveillance tapes and he was one of the gang driving around the fucking corner yeah, all the time in his fucking Mercedes yeah Benz well they put him down to the part of the London underworld and down they and they went they all got jailed yeah you know all in their fucking 60s and 70 years of age you know but they were still scallywags wanted to have a little fucking bit of a crack but they should have been a bit smarter with the surveillance and seen you know what's up in the air yeah you know I mean that it's very hard today it yeah. is you know but uh, you can still fucking get around it of course you know you just got to find the right area to do your business in yeah you know and uh that's what it boils down to. Or, you know, if I had to travel somewhere, sometimes if I go to Sydney so I didn't get spotted, you know, I'd go in the boot of a car or the or the back of someone's truck, mm. you know, and I'd go to a certain location and get picked up there and then fucking, you know, and I'd have masks and wigs and, you know, I never went, when I was doing stuff, I was I, I, was, I didn't use balaclavas, I didn't need them. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? What do you make of... The organised crime world today, like, because it's a lot of it's in chaos, mate. It's a lot of bikies and fucking. Mm. There's a lot of, I guess, well, like well, immigrants the co- and well, shit well, like well, that. Well, what the coppers are trying to call organised crime. I mean, you know, as I know, I know a heap of bikies, mate. You know, and you know, ten or twenty of them might fucking run around doing plenty, and the rest fucking just want to ride bikes and fucking. Yeah. You know, they might get into brawls and carry on like that, but. It's the, 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 what it is, the police are worried about numbers. It's the numbers in these gangs. Yeah. You know, like, take the rebels. They had, I think, 3,500 members all over Australia or something. I mean, you know, I mean, I think the New South Wales Police Force fucking top odds is about 5,000, isn't it? Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Or, and I mean, so th- they were worried about numbers. That's what scared them. But when those silly drive-bys started happening, which started through fucking Middle Eastern gangs... Yeah, I was going to say, it's a lot of immigrants, yeah, right, yeah. bringing that different well, that's culture. A, that's a, well, that's their culture that they come from, so they use it here. So, you know, and then, uh, unfortunately, so some of the Australians started fucking doing it too. Well, it's fucking, you know, it's a fucking shit go. It's a, it's a cowardly go, and, you know, and kids are going to die. There'll be fucking kids that die over this, you know. They'll just be in the way and get fucking blasted and shot. Mm. You know, I mean, you go around, like, as I said before, like, fucking... If you want to intimidate someone, you wait for them to fucking put the garbage bin out and fucking put them in the fucking thing and take them for a drive. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, if you don't want to fucking kill them, but you want your fucking money, then fucking take them out to a hole that's already dug, you know, and throw them in it. 
let them think that you're going to start burying them alive, you know, or fucking tying to a fucking ant's nest or something. That's how you intimidate them. So that you you think there's no honour in it these days? Like, oh, would you? Would I'm you? I'm sure there's blokes with honour in it, but but uh, it's a different it's a different, uh, different world, time. mate. Different time and. You know, look, I, I know a lot of the bikey blokes. I know blokes outside the bikies that are in crime. and But what they didn't have was what we had. Like, when I talk about organised crime, if you look back in the history of the whole of Australian criminal history, there's only ever been three or four gangs that have ever had the real organised power. And that's having the police on side, like we had, magistrates, judges, crooked fucking lawyers, crooked fucking everyone. You've got to... It's a whole conglomerate of fucking people that make up that fucking giant octopus that I say, you know, the giant octopus is the think tank, the head of the organised crime, mm. the tentacles what stretches out into every area of fucking society and the suckers are what gains our information, where we can do a robbery you know, the combination of a lock, the combination of, you know, the fucking people you need, uh, pedophile fucking judges you can get some information on and then let them know when you've got someone who's fronting up before mm. them otherwise you know, so they're the things that organised crime does, that's what we did you know, we fucking gathered in all that we could. But, um, you know, and, and like after I left Ned's gang, I, th- I think I had more success in doing everything than than I ever had, you know what I mean? Because I was my own man. I didn't have to fucking be concerned about him and his coppers. I had me fucking own. And I knew in my own fucking heart I wasn't telling to get it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So... You know, I had a lot of pull and I could get a lot of people out of trouble. You know, they'd come and see me, bikey blokes would come and see me and they'd say, can you find out if so-and-so's an informant? You know, and I'd go and get the fucking proof on that and show them and charge them a fee for it and fucking yeah. give the copper some and me some and, you know what I mean? I mean, that's how I operated. Did but you did you ever think about what your life would have looked like without crime? No, no. Because, no. I mean, like, you always think about like I, I think that there's a real fine line between successful people and criminals. Bloody earth. Because to be successful, like I got friends that are doing jail time now, yeah. that are smart motherfuckers, and they they could be doing legitimate things. That's right. But I think that there's a there's a certain um, way that you can intellectualize fucked up things yeah. when you're a smart person yeah. to create to make shit okay that in the eyes of the law isn't okay yeah. you can yeah. intellectualize and I mean oh, I'm sure you've probably oh, done course, that course, as well and, and create your own what comes rules in the in same thing as those I said I was doing before like commodity broken I mean there's that many crooks in that you wouldn't believe mm. them you know what I mean especially the Russians they're big in it and like and I guess that's the thing too man like how many fucking people are legally being criminals there's a lot of oh, fun. like look at the people. Look at the people that um, the taxation department down, mate. Fucking you know what I mean? Yeah, and you look at what happened with like the housing crisis in 2008 in the US. They're fucking crooks, man. Fucking crooks, all right. Full blown yep. fucking crooks, yep. Yep. and they just chose to do it, ripping in, off everyone, knowing full well it was going to collapse. And you know, you get all of those organisations that are like giving people fucking loans. Credit cards are as crooked as it gets, you know. But it's exactly. there's, there's legal legal ways to yeah. to fuck people oh really. bend them over yeah make, make the people work for you you know what I mean and you you know you, I guess you can just like steal people's lives in that sense so yeah. I guess like I don't know like there there definitely is to me if I guess if what I'm 
trying to say is if you could be a successful criminal, you could be successful oh, in business, in, in, in anything, anything. In anything. Like, oh, there's no doubt about that. You know, I, I think I missed me calling in a lot of things, you know. What would you have done? Uh, I would have been involved in something. I'm not really sure to tell you the truth, but I don't know. I've, I've always had that adventurous fucking spirit in me, you know. I mean, I've even searched for gold, man, fucking Stan Smith in, in New Guinea. And, yeah, right. You know, I've done things like that where we heard that... Uh, the, the India Maru was fucking loaded with uh, fucking tons of gold years ago that was fucking covered over as a hospital ship during the war. Mm. And uh, that, that's how they smuggled the gold out of fucking the Philippines, you know. And uh, we did a lot of homework on that and fucking uh, went to New Guinea, fucking had, had fucking meetings with uh, fucking uh, President Samari, fucking uh, had, uh, had him on side, um, he was also involved at one stage with a fucking uh, with a drug investigation that police were doing on us, and they called it the Pelier Inquiry. Mm. They called it the Pelier Inquiry because of the aeroplane that was being used uh, to go fly it from New Guinea to Australia and fucking uh, bring all this heroin back. So one day the Fed pounced on the plane, and they thought we were all attached to it, and um, so naturally the uh, they turned up and. Uh, uh, grabbed hold of the plane and uh, President Zamari turned up and said, oh, you can't fucking unload the fucking... You can't touch anything here. It's not federal land until the end of this fucking strip here, mate. Yeah, right. right? So next minute the plane fucking took off and unfortunately had to, I guess, dump what it had if someone was involved in drugs. So, <laughs> so uh, you know, it was all cleaned out and fucking tested. And But, um, so, you know, we already had a, a connection there with him. So... When we went to this, these meetings with this, trying to find this gold, we said we believe there's gold there. We'll fucking transport it from here to fucking wherever it was going to go, and uh, we're going to use one of the biggest aircraft c- carriers, right? Because what they can do is take off in a short airstrip. Mm. There's a certain name for the plane. Or, um, I forget the name of them now. Real big and round they are. Big troop carriers they are. Oh yeah yeah uh, yeah, yeah yeah. Anyway because they, they can take off with X amount of ton on, you know. So we started doing discoveries there. We flew over helicopters with gold fucking finders on it. What were costing us a fortune a day to do. And the, these fucking things are going off the Richter scale. So anyway, during the course of looking at this, I was I went to a psychic lady. You wouldn't fucking believe it. I was in Manly one day and I, I said, I'd just seen this psychic shit. I was waiting for someone to turn up and I... I thought, fuck it, I'm going to go in here. They can wait for me. So I went and had a chat to the shielder who did, did, did like, like tarot, tarot cards. Tarot and cards. So when I went up there, I was a bit dirty. She only did the card. But next fucking minute, she's drawing pictures of these huts. Right? She said, there's all these huts and there's this river. She said, but you're looking in the wrong place. She said, there's a little island here just off where you're looking at. She said, look there. That's where I think it is. Well, you wouldn't fucking believe it. About three months later, without even... I didn't take too much notice of it, you know, but three months later, there was a little clip in the paper that said they found 10 tonne, right, on this tiny little island. Well, next fucking minute, people were sniffing around it everywhere, all the papers, and it just shut up shop, and they said, no, it was a false, false, false alarm. Really? Right? So I still believe that the Chinaman I sent there to do the business all the time, who did the business and the contracts with, was involved, mm. and he'd already got that offshore. That's what I believe. So I believe we got handled. 
big time, you know. But never been able to see the bloke since, so. Fucking hell. Wouldn't even know where to find him. He's probably married to a jungle bunny. And he fucking out, son. Yeah, that's right. You know, so and I've been involved in everything. So I'm sure I would have been involved in something that was sneaky or something where the, the folding cash was, was big. Yeah. You know, so either through the commodity broking or you know, when you do some of that commodity stuff, mate, you're, ta- you're talking money. in fucking half a fucking billion and fucking... Mm. It's fucking ridiculous, the fucking amounts, but... The people involved were lucky that we had so many connections. And, uh, you know, I remember once we were doing business with these Russians and a woman and a man in a well-known solicitor's office in Sydney. Anyway, we got his name and details and everything, and I pretended to go outside for a smoke, and then I passed on the information to a bloke down in Melbourne. And he ran it through his mate in Interpol and come back and he said, no, you're dealing with the Russian mafia, mate. He said they're only out to con you to try and get the numbers that are stamped on each block of the gold. Uh, now, that doesn't happen till a long way down the track when you're doing gold commodity stuff. Yeah, that, right. You know, there's a, there's a certain way it works. It goes down step by step by step by step. In the end, like we got two blokes to meet. This after about six months of frigging getting this massive gold fucking deal to go down, it was worth like 60 million to me in cash, right? And that was just me, right? So there was four of us involved, right? So the next fucking minute, they walk into the room to meet each other. After all this time, it's just bang, bang, bang. They walked in, he said, hey, no, I'll do business with that cunt. You know, hey, he's a fucking dog. He didn't really? like him. I said, mate, you're fucking kidding, aren't you? We waited fucking six months to get there. Can't you fucking pal us up and do the deal? <laughs> well, you know, if they don't want to do it, they don't want to do it. He walked away. He said, I'd rather fucking throw it away. Well, fucking throw it this way, mate. Yeah, mate. throw it, yeah. You know, so anyway, in the end, it just got, it was one of them real stressful fucking things where he up all night on fucking, mm. you know, connect calls to everyone and there's four of his on the line and you're listening in and so, yeah. oh, fuck, drove me mad. Hard way to make it. Yeah, hard way, hard way to make it. I said I'd rather fucking get back into the fucking saddle and go and fucking knock Pony off some fucking, some shit, yeah. fucking rob some fucking payrolls. What do you reckon you are into the psychic stuff? I don't know, mate. I think it was just part of me. It was just born into me, I think. You know, as what I say, you, my mother was like it. And what are you looking for in it, though? I don't know what I'm looking for. Because, I mean, like, yeah. and just to, I guess, for the other side of the coin, like, yeah. I've never had fucking one thought yeah. of going to, to a, a psychic, psychic ever in my life. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not... Um, I'm not discrediting it. I'm yep, not yep. thinking it's fucking weird or hokey. Yeah. It's just I don't have a drive for that. Yeah, right. So I can't – I don't understand yeah. your side. So yeah, it's interesting right. to me that a person like yourself yep. is putting value into like, – oh, because yeah. you want – you, do you want to know the future? Do you want to know the mm. past? Is uh, it? But I can see into uh, – well, not that I can see into – no, I can't really see into the future. I don't think I've ever been able to say that. But I've, I've – um, I can get answers to things that I need to know. You know, I can get answers through it. So, so that's why I do it. I mean, my daughter will fucking one night we were sitting at home and my father-in-law had just died and he died of emphysema. And we were sitting in the fucking, she was in bed in her bed and I was in mine. And next fucking minute she went, Dad, can you hear that? And I said, I can hear this heavy breathing. I said, probably pop, you know. And she said, well, he's in this room too. I said, well, he's in this one too. Uh-huh. So how the fuck's that work? 
So, you know, it must be just like an energy. Yeah. You know, so, but that's what he was doing. He was going, <sighs> yeah. not a scary one. It was just like, I knew it was him. Yeah, right. I said, it's just letting him letting you know. She said, well, I had so just had a dream. So this was after he died? After he died, yeah. Yeah, right. You know, and, yeah, uh, oh, yeah, we've had some weird stuff happen. Man, I, I had a freaky thing when my pop died, my mum's dad. So I, um, oh, fuck, hell, I think I was 17 maybe, 16, 17, something like that. Yeah. And, um, and I woke up early, real early. And, I, and I'm still to this day, I'm not a person that, I won't wake up early. I yeah. need to set an alarm, have the fucking shades open for me to wake up. Yeah. And I woke up at quarter to six, which is to me a fucking pretty early morning. Yep. And I got out and my mum and my dad were both sitting on the couch. And it, I just walked out and I fucking knew my granddad died. He wasn't sick. Yeah. He wasn't, there was no, you well, know. That's the, that's the awareness, that, man. Yeah, you already was, had it. So yeah. you don't believe in it, but you just had it. No, it's not that I don't believe in it. It's the, it's the psychic thing that I, yeah. I don't feel compelled to find stuff yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why. Yeah. But um, I, de- I do believe. They're like gut feelings. So yeah. you call gut feelings are like that. It's like going down, looking at the races, and then you go, for some reason, that fucking horse just sticks right out to me. Yeah. That's just a conscious thought, mate. Yeah. That's how things come to me, but I take notice of it. Sometimes I hear a voice. You know, like I might be looking at Rachel one day. I was sitting there one day and I wanted to take a first four, but I was always trying to get them in perfect order. I mean, it's hard enough getting one winner. Yeah, yeah. And next minute I just said to myself, 7, 10, 11 and 4. So I went 7, 10, 11, 4, put in 10 bucks. Paid eight thousand dollars. Fuck. One eighty grand. So, so that's how I operate on. I operate on feelings. That don't happen all the time. And I guess too, like you I'm in my life never had anyone try and fucking kill me. I've never yeah. had I guess I've never my senses have never been put under the same pressure that your yeah. senses have been under. Yeah. To where you probably needed that hyper alert and really be trying to pay attention to everything like even when you talked about you know you noticed the chick that was fucking running that she was a copper yep, yep. so it's like i guess you might have just developed senses through, have. through necessity oh no, no doubt no doubt and, Do I th- and i think that started from you know being aware of my father and and having to be on guard all the time yeah and that's how my life always was i was on guard yeah always and forever so I had to fucking rely on so it developed the sense you know it just developed that sense within me you know so are you are you cautious like when we had the phone call that when I first called you about this you you were like pretty on guard for the first couple minutes of us actually chatting and uh, I I didn't get the feeling that you were you can tell when someone's like nah fuck this is a bit eggy to me So it seemed like... Yeah, I did that. And then when I hung up, I, I check out straight away because I said to my daughter, I'll find out the name of the place first. Mm. And, uh, you know, your podcast. And um, so I went into that. Then I started looking at some of the people that you talked to and mm. and I uh, looked like that. And then I said, oh, yeah, well, that's, uh, I don't mind doing that, you know. I know there's no money in it financially, but um, uh, at the end of the day, I... Maybe some more people might look at me book. Yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, which is online. You can't buy it in the paper book anymore unless you go on eBay. You can get them on there. Yeah, Sometimes right. they sell for 135 bucks because they've been signed. Or yeah, yeah. You know, I'd would you do? Have you like so? Who published your book? Uh, the ABC. Righto. So like, because 
you know that you can publish a lot of shit yourselves these days. Oh, and like shit, it's, yeah. It's definitely getting better, eh? Yeah, like I, yeah. So I wonder, like, if you haven't had great experience with... Because I remember you saying that you shit-canned something and the, you think that's why the ABC... Oh, yeah, I think of, that's why the ABC dumped the book because I bagged the uh, production of yeah, Blue Murder. Yep, yep. And, uh, and they, that's who did it, the ABC. Maybe you should look at some of the other options of publishing shit yourself and just having a bit more yeah. control over it, you know, yeah, like, yeah. as you kind of well, go I wouldn't forward. even mind doing a DVD one day and... Uh, like a doco you know, like, or something? Yeah, like a doco and going around, have someone film, go into the places that have been... A little bit like has happened on... Um, uh, the Vice Channel, it's on, just a online bit now. More, yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, and uh, because that puts it out there how it is, mate. I tell it as the raw truth. I don't, you know, I've got nothing to worry about. I've got no people that are going to come and fucking kill me over it because at the end of the day, I'm not nominating anyone who's done anything with me or yeah, yeah. You know, but I'm telling the story, the truth behind bullshit that gets written by coppers and that's why I've called my next book that I've been working on for a long time and I lost about 300 pages on the computer one day Ugh. I've never been able to fucking get it back so it just fucking went into fucking cyberspace somewhere so that's <laughs> there somewhere but I, where the fuck it is I've got no idea so I had to restart it and go through it again but it's funny when I'm even yeah. writing it I get I, I get to parts where things happen and I get real fucking hyper when I start yeah, you know, yeah, I can yeah. even feel that I'm bashing at the keys yeah, instead of yeah, fucking, yeah. you know, because I'm remembering it. So I can always put things in the fact. I remember a bloke saying to me one day when I was in the prison system and I was writing my first book, and he said, Fuck, mate. He said, You fucking type that fucking fast. I said, Well, I'm fucking getting the thoughts yeah. out. Yeah, he said, But how do you do that when you're writing a story about yourself? I said, Because I'm not telling fucking lies. Yeah. And I'm sitting here going, Oh, and then I, what can I say? I'll do a chopper read here and say, Oh, yeah, then I killed so and so, and then I killed so and so. And you know what? I'm only claiming fame for that many fucking things. And I said, I said, All those fucking things come from movies, chopper, not from fucking. When, what, was he in a similar era to you? Like, were you. Did no, you he know was in the him? same era. No. He was yeah. just a police informer from fucking Newcastle, from uh, Melbourne, you know. So he wasn't. You no, know, he was nothing that he ever fucking pretended to be. He was just a good storyteller. Yeah, fucking. You know, and, uh, and he made himself out to be this fucking. You know, he was a lunatic, but he was in, he was in H Division in, in fucking Melbourne for his own protection. Yeah, right. If he was out in the yard, they would have chopped him up in a heartbeat. Yeah, yeah. You know, he can chop his own ears off, but fucking someone else would have cut his heart out, you know. But I mean, that's why when he got out, he went to Tasmania. And then the, I mean, you've only got to look at the docos and blokes he had hanging around him with his bodyguard. Like one bloke was like a stick and some fucking poor innocent bastard who ended up getting jail time with him. And then he allegedly shot this bikey. And then, well, well, he did shoot the bikey, but he, he fucking shot him in the guts or the legs or something like that. And then he got locked up in Tasmania in fucking prison there. Did you then see he came back of... to Melbourne. But I've been sitting down in coffee shops with blokes that I know from the Melbourne underworld. And I've been down there, sitting down there having coffee with them. Next Monday, you walk past, and they just fucking all look at him. Fucking, you fucking big goose, you know. Yeah, right. No, but 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 he was he was in saying that he was still a dangerous bloke in his own way. You yeah, know, you don't he, know what fucking. And some... uh, you know, but 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 I actually I, I actually had a business at one stage. Come, it was here in Newcastle. It was called King Arthur's Court, King Arthur's Theatre, and. Um, not King Arthur Theatre. What was it called? I owned the bloody thing. King's Theatre, it was called. And uh, down here in Lambton. And uh, anyway, I had it going good until they did a story on me up here. And next minute, there was a two page uh. article written in the Newcastle Herald. 
and said this bloke is the next underworld figure and fucking done this and done that and fucking next minute that was the end of my business. Went fucking backwards. No shit. So, uh, you know, unbelievable. But uh, I actually put Chopper Reed on there with Roger Rogerson one night and I packed the place out and then after it I walked out the back and I said, mate, you fucking talk underwater. And then I looked at his eyes and I said, and I said, so it must be the speed that's doing it to you, eh? Uh. And he said, he said, oh, you're pretty fucking observative. I said, well, I can fucking, mate, I've been around a long Dean fucking time, that, yeah. mate, you know what I mean? But I said, uh, you know, some of them stories you told there tonight, I said, I think they come out of uh, the Goodfellas movie, mate. He yeah. said, never let the truth get in the way of a good story, Abba. Fucking That's what he said to me. You know, so, you know, I, look, I thought he was quite, for, oh, he was a funny human being, I thought. I thought he was fucking hilarious. But, um, but uh, as far as an organised crime gangster, I thought, oh, he wouldn't have even got a fucking look in in Sydney. Wouldn't have got a start. He wouldn't have got a look in in Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? He did his own thing and he was a junkie all his life. Yeah, right. You know, so those people were never involved with the Sparties. Yeah. You know? So what do you, what do you make, I guess, of people that would have those opinions to write like a negative story about you? Like, because it's like... You just got to take the good with the bad, man. Yeah, because, I mean, it's a fucking weird one because it's like, all right, you've done some fucked up shit. Yep. You've, you've done some crimes. Like, yep. you you lived a life that generally society frowns on. No, of course. But you're a fucking... You've been a good, really fucking good guy to me. Yeah. Every correspondence Thanks, we've had has been awesome yeah about a fucking good chat here yeah, bloody and, about you know cool stories and shit yeah. you don't come across to me as a total fucking piece of shit yeah. asshole yeah. kind yeah. of guy yeah, right. and it's like i don't know it's 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 it is a hard one though when yeah. it's like to detach the crimes from the person because oh, at yeah. the end of the day you're a person you got a wife you got a kid that's like, right heard you talk well, my to wife doesn't like things like that you know i mean she when that video just came out on the vice channel um you know violent time she said Oh, did it have to come out, you know? I said, well, yeah, well, it's got to be part. I'm trying to get a frigging documentary done here. That's what yep. I'm trying to do. In the end, I'd really like to have a documentary or a movie made. But fucking about the truth, mate. Yeah. The coppers are... So every well, everyone's too scared. They want to fucking ab lib stuff and ab, add all this bullshit to it. Fucking tell it the raw or the truth of it, mate. So that's why I like things like this, where we're one-on-one, -on -one, we can fucking talk about things. And I'll tell it how it is. I'm not here for me ego, mate. I, and I never joined organised crime to be a tough guy or to, or to be even known as one. I just wanted to earn money. Mm. You know, that was my main mo motivation all the way along, mate. I didn't want to be running around fucking being a fucking killer or a, even known as one, you know. But I've had to do what I've had to do in my life to stay alive. Mm. And, and as I said, I've shot them, stabbed them, hit them with bats, a fucking, you name it. But there've been other gangsters that live the life and know the rules, mm. you know. So I don't have any regrets. So is that your takeaway in terms of how you can let stuff sit with you as a person? Is that all the people that you were involved with were playing the same game Fucking and knows. knew the same rules? Yep. And you know, when they've tried to trap me, I think to myself, that was very clever. Yeah, right. But, you know, not clever enough. It didn't get me. So you <laughs> and like that's the thing from stories here. It doesn't sound like you take even people trying to kill you that personally. No, I don't, mate. No, I remember saying, you know, when they shot at me at um, uh, when they let about sixteen shots go out of these guns that the police found when they tried to murder me at uh, while I was on works release in nineteen ninety seven. Oh, when you were running through the yeah, bush. when yeah, I was running yeah, through yeah, the bush yeah. there in the in a uh, place called Rothbury. It's where it was an old mine site years ago. And uh, 
but uh, now it's a train museum. Well, I was working there as part of my works release back into society and all that sort of shit. And uh, that's where they try to kill me. But um, I was going to say something about that. Oh, like you don't take it personal. Yeah, yeah, no. And straight after, I remember going back, going back to the prison, and and I heard the governor <coughs> saying, of the prison saying, he's on the phone to head office in the city, you know, and he's saying, yeah, well, I want my my uh, my warden to get an accolade for this. And I said, what the fuck's he getting an accolade for? He dropped me off at fucking the work site and pissed off in the car. He would have been a mile away. When fucking the shots are fired at fucking me, I'm the one who dodged the fucking bullet, you moron. You know what I mean? But I, when he come out and was talking to me, uh, they gave, sent me this bloke called Mr Foxwell who'd been in charge of the prison systems for years, like up in the head office and that, you know. Good bloke, I liked him. Been an ex-governor in prisons. And uh, he said, uh, you don't even look like you're fucking worried at all. I said, I said, that's the best bit of fucking excitement I've had in six fucking years. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the truth of it, mate, you the, know, so. The boy's having a crack. Yeah, How different, we'll, we'll wrap it up soon. Yeah, mate, yeah. Yeah, yeah I'll been, have to go shortly. Nah, it's been a good yarn. Yeah. Um, how oh. different would your life have been if you jo- got to join the army? Because you're a tactical yeah. motherfucker. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how I would have gone there. I, I'm sure I would have got, I, you know. Would I, you have had I've a never been anyone hesitating in it. Uh, yeah, well, that's what they thought. See, that's yeah. why they thought. They said to me, when I asked them, I said, what's the reason? I mean, I went even to the local member in Parramatta in the, in the day. Oh, so you fully tried to get in. Yeah, and I said, listen, why, why are they knocking me fucking back? And he said, well, let's have a look into it. And he said, because you've got this violence record already. That's what they're concerned about, that you won't take fucking uh, good to think you've got no discipline. Yeah, right. And I said, well, it's only because I've never been fucking taught any. I'll be disciplined if I have to. Yeah. If I get fucking told, well, this is what we're doing, we're going to fucking... I'd say it takes discipline to rob cockatoo island. Fucking, fucking oath, you've got to have discipline to do the fucking things I did. And yeah. you've got to get them down right without harming anybody. Mm. I mean, we never, ever, in all the times we did arm robbery, ever harmed one single fucking soul on a robbery. And I said to anyone, if you've ever got it, I'll make the decision if that person's got to be hurt. So I'll hold it against me. If I see him going for a gun, they've got strapped down to their leg, right? I'm going to put one in his leg. I'm going to put one in his head or his heart, or right? But that'll be the last resort, right? You know. So I said, you leave it to me. So I was always the one looking for. So I always made them sure when they got the guards, they put them down, they fucking lifted their trouser leg pulled out the fucking gun some of them they have them hidden in their ankles they'd still have one carrying one here but they'd have one and they were all lairs mm. you know there's certain ones that are real fucking lairs that get out with the guns and that you know well, we used to laugh at them you know because we'd just trap them so easily mm. you know what I mean and I always just say to them don't be a hero here mate we're, oh, we're only after your money right yep. no fucking don't get up and try and shoot at no, us no mate don't more of it and, yeah that's right so fucking no, we always got away with it you know so you know, I didn't harm anyone. I didn't fucking put the fucking, you know, I'm sure I put the wind up on for the fucking moment. Mm. You know what I mean? And uh, that was all fucking part of it. I had to do that. But, uh, you know, in everything I've ever done, I've never had to harm them that way. But the only time when I had to use violence was when, you know, gang war erupted or someone was trying to hurt me or hurt some of the gang or, you know, cut off uh, some of our supply or fucking start working in our area or whatever that was, you know. Um, so that's when I'd come out of me fucking shell and be this other person, mm. you know, uh, which I don't like to go there too often, but if I got to, I will. 
But so I've tried to use my smarts as best as I can. And uh, the, and as I say, the only thing that I ever regret about was stabbing that police prosecutor, mm. you know, because I should have just knocked him down in the gutter and, you know, I still would have got a burning fucking roust on over it. But at the end of the day, they all knew he was a big mouth. Yeah. And, um, you know, I would have got back in the saddle and been all right. So I didn't worry me. And as it turned out, I got back in the saddle any fucking way and I played until I was fucking ready to fucking pull the plug, you know, which was eight years ago. So... For eight years, I've been fucking just training blokes, fighting. Uh, you know, I've uh, go down, train some young kids in high schools, and teach them to box. And I just I even fought for the Australian title in 2015, November mm. 2015, as a cruiserweight, and um, against a 42-year-old. But unfortunately, I snapped me soleus muscle, snapped that hard, and fract- tore off my bone and fractured my leg. So <laughs> that was the end of the fight. So. <laughs> Uh, as much as I wanted to get back and get revenge and just prior to it the day before it, uh, the Saturday Telegraph carried a story about it and they said that uh, you know I was used to fucking running in and using baseball bats to clear rooms and fucking yeah. you know this bloke that I thought was fucking terrified I could see it in his eyes when he came out in the corner you know and I trapped him in my corner and was going to unload on him and then fucking snap. bang snap I wondered what the fuck why am I going backwards here because yeah, right. your soleus muscle is your standing muscle it's yeah. what helps you stand up yeah so uh, yeah so that was unfortunate never won that but uh, would have been a, I've been offered uh, last year to fight up in Calandra in uh, Queensland and then in the end of the end of the day they couldn't find me an opponent so I thought no I'm hanging them up now but every now and then I still work on the head year and get in and I'll spar the young blokes yeah. I'm fighting you know fuck yeah that uh, just keeps you sharp and keeps you on your toes that's it. Well, mate, we'll wrap it up. Yeah, thanks, mate. Thanks yeah, a lot, eh? No Fucking problem. Good chat. Did you enjoy it? Yeah, mate. Um, went, no. went quicker than you thought, or? Yeah, bloody hell. What's the time now? Oh, know. very. Uh, went long over what I thought. No, well, mate, yeah, we fucking could have kept going. Yeah, too, bloody so. hell. No worries. Uh, appreciate it, mate. Yeah, mate. Good as gold. And um, everyone go buy Abo's book, A Treacherous Life. Yeah. Um, it's on, I got it through the Apple Bookstore, I'm That's pretty right. sure. Yeah, uh, Lulu, um, I think, isn't it? Yeah, Hulu does it. Yeah, um, Hulu and then you got. Right. Uh, or, right, it's not an audio book. Let's fucking get you. Let's get the audio book happening. Yeah, that's Maybe not a bad idea. Come, come to Queensland. Use the mic. Set you up. Yeah. Read the book because the fucking audio books are the way to go. Yeah, well, that might be the go to. Get might it out there. That. Fucking publish it yourself. And, yeah. Um, and yeah. So that's a good thought. We got you, mate. Good right, job, mate. No dramas. Catch you, mate. This episode is brought to you in part by Purina. Purina is dedicated to creating richer lives for pets and the people who love them. From helping older pets think like their younger selves to making cat ownership a possibility for more people than ever. Purina is helping pets thrive so they can live long, healthy, and happy lives. Purina has you covered for all your furry friends' needs, whether they meow or bark. From litter to treats to their best-in-class, nutrient-packed food with taste your pets will love. Purina's got your back at every stage of your pet's life. Your pet gives you the joy of the spring sunshine all year round. So today and every day, care for your pet with Purina. Your pet is Purina's passion. To learn more, head to Amazon.com backslash Purina.